Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse, the fifth column. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle, the people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster. I do various things at Post Off Weekly Media. I'm delighted to be able to do those things. It's a privilege and an honor and a joy to be with you here again. I am joined by heroic men of valor, mm. Matt Welch. Mm. Faithful, steadfast, like a dog, better at large reason magazine, Michael Boynihan. He, well, there are adjectives and things that one could use. You can't think of anything. Well, I mean, there are lots of things that I could say, but it's complicated. You know what I'm saying? And he does things in vice. It's amazing. You introducing on the podcast is me like talking to every woman I've ever dated about like when they're breaking up, like (laughs) it's just complicated. You know, I've got like, I have a lot of things that I want to do. I want to travel. You have so many I want to talents. Sleep with other men. Yeah. <laughs> you, oh, you say that to them. I want to sleep with other men, which is fine, which is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, of course. I, I, yeah. I, I was getting to what they would say. Yeah. <laughs> well, it works either uh, way. It's fine because yeah. love wins, and so do we. Yeah. You know, we win sometimes. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to see you guys. How the hell are you guys? It's been a couple of minutes I, since we last. Spoke. I'm great. Yeah. Great, because I won this morning uh, lying in bed on my TD Ameritrade app, which we'll talk Trade, about. Trading <laughs> and buying GameStop. So, so like, morning, you, you know? have you been doing this the whole time? Like, you wake up in the morning, you, uh-huh. like, cha- chase yes. the squirrels out of your attic in East Egg, and you start yes. day trading even before you drink your first shitty cup of coffee? <laughs> yeah, Is that what you've been doing? Um well, you know, sometimes I'm it's like building the house. Um, it's complicated, you know. I mean, I finally got the uh, pneumatic nail gun to work, so I've been nailing shit uh, for the past couple of days, which is quite fun. Uh, just random things, but it's very fun yeah. to to like fire off the nail gun. Um, so no, I get I get up, and um, this morning, for instance, I get up and um, I saw some uh, some movement, and uh, from the the sources where I'm always looking at things and talking to people. And it's a source. One of them is a source that has become the toast of the media world, uh, which is the wall street bets, uh, subreddit, which so wait, wait, wait. I was like, you'd, you'd already yeah. been a part of this oh, community. Dude, I will send you a, I will show you a text that I sent to, uh, my friend and a person, you know, to Alex, uh, telling him to get on that, like eight, nine months ago. Oh um, my God. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've been, <laughs> so I've wait, been I'm, I'm on there with, are you yeah, also yeah. using all of these like homophobic racial slurs and stuff? You're just like, you use them. Uh, okay. Do you, are, so, do you refer to yourself as a retard? As a member of the community? I mean, there? no, that's what you call me, which I'm like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of tired of. Um, no, by the way, that was the funny thing is that if you uh, use the subreddit, if you, if you kind of lurk there or even participate, it uh-huh. says on the side that it's like, we're a mixture of, uh, it's like a 4chan, 4chan met a bloom. It says it met a Bloomberg terminal illness, uh-huh. um, which is kind of, pretty good. So it does have that kind of 4chan vibe to it. And uh-huh. so when the Discord, the um, uh, Wall Street Bets Discord was uh, kicked off of Discord today uh-huh. or suspended yeah. for hate speech, 
it kind of provoked a really funny thing in the media because their media is kind of used to, you know, just saying it's all right. It's a bunch of Nazis or whatever. Um, and that's kind of what they did. And the Financial Times had to actually issue a correction and say, well, we they're not actually alt-right. And the thing is, I didn't see this. I wasn't on the Discord, but I'm presuming the hate speech that they're talking about is the 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 kind of promiscuous use of the word retard, which is very yeah. common in the parlance because there's like a particular language to it. Uh, yeah. To all these kind of universes and subreddits, and that's that's a very it's a very common one. But yeah, I've been there for I've been hanging around there for for a long time, and um, so I just think it's so funny when you see people overestimating the power of a you know coordination of like you know a hundred thousand people, which is not I don't think what's happening. Um, it's pretty it's pretty funny. We're recording this on on Thursday night and Thursday yeah. day is when all of this blew up to such a degree that, um, you know, the last person left on Twitter saying, can someone explain this to me? Uh, I think that happened at noon. Yeah. It's been explained to everybody, <laughs> although no one understands it, except apparently day trader Moynihan over here. So well, it's uh, funny. It's funny because everybody I you know, I will be honest about my limitations and and what and talking about this stuff. <laughs> there was a very funny tweet someone shared. It was like the, the tweet was just this is the most outrageous thing I've seen in my three days of trading, <laughs> which is kind of like what it's kind of like what you're getting here. Like people, um, you know, I mean, look, I we think we have to, we have to wrap this. some context around this, though, like because because I, I do think, as, as you as you mentioned, Welsh, like most people, most people know something about this, but it's worth giving a little bit of context, right? Yeah, I'll give you I'll give a brief thing. So GameStop, um, which, by the way, there was like some old hedge fund manager on CNBC today, and he kept on talking about GameStop. And it was like, it's like Woodstock of gaming or the stock of game. It was like, it was just, but he was saying this one word, like GameStop. Um, so GameStop is a kind of brick and mortar retailer, as most people know, where you buy games uh, in their physical form, which is kind of going out of fashion now because you, you know, download most of your games and, you know, people stay at home. And, you know, this is one of these businesses that is not going to have a long shelf life. So people think. And what that does is it attracts a whole bunch of short sellers um, who are in the most basic way you can can actually explain this are betting on a stock going down. So if the stock uh, loses value, they make money. Um, and if it gains value, they stand to lose a ton of money, right? And so the premise here, and I'm not even entirely sure how accurate this is, because I, I have some questions um, about its accuracy and, you know, some of the reporting or lack of reporting behind it. Because once somebody says, this is what's happening, everyone starts running with that narrative. But so what is essentially happening is that the stock was basically a five or $6 stock that had been run up to like $350, $400. Um, because, and this is the working theory, is that a bunch of people on a subreddit who are retail investors and the difference between institutional investors and retail investors, institutional, of course, would be hedge funds or, you know, big banks or uh, things like that. Um, and the retail investor is, you know, the regular person with uh, an app, right? The average mm -hmm. person. And the app of choice for a lot of new investors is an app called Robinhood. Robinhood is very, very easy to use. Um, it's not, I mean, it's, it makes people think it makes uh, investing too easy. I don't think there's, uh, such a thing. 
Um, I don't use it. I've downloaded it. I have a couple things that I play on there just to see what's going on there, but um, I don't use it. Uh, but, um, but a lot of people do. And so the idea here is that a bunch of people on this subreddit, which is, a, you know, the community forum out there on Reddit, um, had kind of conspired to say, fuck these short sellers. And what they're going to do is engineer something called a short squeeze. And right. essentially that is um, pushing back and inflating the price against a bunch of people who are waiting for it to go down. I mean, it's obviously much more complicated than this. And mm -hmm. those people um, will, you know, the average investor, say if you have $100 in your account and, you know, there's, a, there's, there's something called a margin call. Basically, do you have the money to cover it? Right. And so they have to start covering their bets. This is and the short, the short bets, sellers. This is the short yes, sellers. Who and have to these cover are their bets. Yeah. And so basically what happens with, with, with this is you can, you know, which stocks, uh, the percentage of the stocks in circulation, like the float of the stock, the percentage of these are that are, are, are owned by short sellers. And so the short, the short sell on the percentage on, on GameStop. And again, I'm trying to dumb this down as much as possible. Yeah. was 120%. So it's like 120% um, of, of all yes. of the stocks essentially is is yes. committed to short sellers. These are people who are waiting for the price to go yes. down below like the $6 yeah. that the stock was at, what, two days ago? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it, if it bottoms out, they make a lot of money. And how can it be 120%? Right. Well, <laughs> people borrow from people who are borrowing and they kind of <laughs> basically over borrow. It's leverage. We've, we've seen this before. We've seen this before. And so you have 120% of these... Um, out with short sellers. And the theory is, now I have some doubts about this. The theory mm -hmm. is that people on Wall Street bets who are really funny and mean, and it's like the 4chan of investing, that they kind of conspired to inflate the price of this stock and just fucking destroy the people that are shorting it. And it's one company in particular, one massive, massive hedge fund who has lost so much money as a result of this push. And what, what you know, typically would happen is that these average investors would make money. I mean, you don't make or lose money until you, you, you sell a stock, right? Right. And so the idea right now is to hold it, hold the line, do not sell. Because, you know, they want you to sell. They'll hold on and you sell and you sell. The price goes back down and then they're in, in a better place that they were. It's it, hold the line. And after you hold it long enough... And this is already what's happened with with mm -hmm. uh, on on GameStop is that uh, is that they people have had to cover their margin basically and dump their position, costing them hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. and screwing over um, these people. And it's this heroic David versus Goliath story of these average investors who are you know slaying these people who have been manipulating the system so long. And it's this is your comeuppance. We're manipulating it this time. And when we manipulate it, everybody wants to go the regulatory route in, they, in the big thing. And the one I suspect we want to talk about is that Robinhood in particular stopped the trading in one direction. You could no longer buy GameStop, AMC, a few other ones that were, were you know, basically highly shorted, low float stocks and, you know, a bunch of them. I, I bought one of, one of these small ones this morning. And dumped it pretty quickly and, and made some money on it uh, on on Ameritrade, which is the, the brokerage house that I use. And so this all happens, and the freakout is amazing. 
And what Robinhood does is says you can sell your stock. You can sell your position, which, of course, benefits the short sellers. You can sell your position, but you cannot buy anymore. And so all of these people are like, are you kidding me? Maybe there's something in your terms of agreement about this. But did you talk to the to FINRA? Did you talk to the regulators about this? Because you are now taking a bunch of people who have money with you in their accounts and you're telling them that as the price of this moves up and down, you cannot do anything but sell. Right. And it has created an enormous backlash of uh, against Robinhood, which, you know, the irony, of course, is Robinhood, you know, steals from the rich and gives to the poor. It's the, the idea of Robinhood was that anybody can actually approach and use the market like the pros do because the right, app is super simple. No, and it, there's no minimums. So you could buy like one share, essentially. You can, buy, well, you of, can buy fractional, you can buy fractional right, shares, exactly. which is big there too. So if you have like a, you know, the second before the stock split when, when Tesla was, you know, up there in the stratosphere, which still mm-hmm. is, but you know, if, unless you have a spare thousand dollars, you can't buy a share of Tesla. But if you have $25 and you want to buy Tesla, you can buy a fractional share um, via via uh, Robinhood. So there's a lot of cool little things. Yeah. And you can actually very easily trade um, cryptocurrencies, which, you know, in the past was difficult. And some places like Coinbase made it a lot easier. But this uh, Robinhood makes it very, very easy. So that's basically what where it is. And and um, there's a lot more to the story, a lot more, many more wrinkles to the story. And and part of it, part mm-hmm. of it, too, is isn't it isn't it that uh, Robinhood was heading towards an initial public offering, right? Like they are they are a company that facilitates trades and is, uh, you know, on the side of the little guy. And then when the heat came uh, in the kitchen, they're like, oh, little guy, you can only go this one direction. And now they're going to engender an, a tremendous amount of of bad will against them just right before they attempt to themselves cash out on Wall Street, which is one of the many delicious little subreddit ironies going on. Well, one of the things that is, I wouldn't say it's a conspiracy theory because it's its just plausible enough um, that people have mentioned is that the one hedge, hedge fund that um, enormous hedge fund, the CEO and uh, boss of of which just you know just bought one of the most expensive houses in America. So this guy's not doing not doing that bad, but you know just fell stepped on a rake like you wouldn't believe. Um, they're being bailed out now by a company that you know there's like a two point five billion dollar essential investment mm-hmm. bailout uh, yeah. the other day by a company that is very closely just put it this way. This is the easiest way of doing it, so we don't get too, too in the weeds. A company that is very closely um, <laughs> wrapped up with Robinhood. Some people are like, do they own it? Well, they don't own Robinhood. So there's a lot of these fact checks about that out there. But just put mm-hmm. it this way. They're very, very closely intertwined. And there's a process that they make money on by 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 um, working with Robinhood. That company bailed out the hedge fund that lost all its money. Um, Would this be the same sh- uh, company that paid stuff. Janet Yellen, the new Treasury Secretary, 800 thousand dollars for several speaking I think it might have been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that right? I think it might have been. Yeah, I saw and something. Aren't, aren't they actually called the cathedral or cathedral something or other? Which is uh, Camille's friends the, love to use that fr- phrase to describe the 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 Borg of of uh, media and academia and and all that kind of stuff. But like mm-hmm. I think they're actually called the cathedral. which I think oh, includes you and Drew and Moynihan, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, we're in it. You're not. That's yeah. Because we didn't no, get no. purple pilled or whatever <laughs> dumbass thing they say. And, and just to be clear, by the way, when, which is a suppository. I, that, I just want to be sure about yeah, yeah. 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 that. Yeah, that's right. 
Well, I just want to be clear too that my, that the trades that I'm making um, are are in the hundreds of dollars, uh, not <laughs> not, um, not uh, more than that. I mean, a few. I mean, the one thing actually, if I was on Robinhood, I'd be really pissed off because I um my I ha- I bought a, a you know the the largest of my um, positions uh, for a while uh, was American Airlines. Uh, mm-hmm. Based on you know not on let's screw the short sellers, but just on the you know I can wait. Uh, I'm not one of those people uh, that you know is just like high volume trading. I do that sometimes, mm-hmm. but but you know I can wait. And those planes aren't going anywhere, and people are going to need to fly. So it's you know when it bottoms out at mm-hmm. eleven dollars, uh, you know twelve dollars, uh, you know, and it was trading at thirty two, thirty three back before the pandemic. You know I can hold on. So you know I bought it down there at ten or eleven dollars. And the thing now is that that is supposedly one of the the stocks that um, it was like I think twenty five percent of it's like a twenty five percent of stocks being shorted um, that is being um, targeted by Wall Street bets. And mm-hmm. so on this is thankfully my brokerage house is Ameritrade, which has actually not performed wonderfully in all of this, but they have not banned banned the buying of American Airlines, which mm-hmm. Robin Hood has. Wow. It is crazy. But they're only uh, doing this for really retail. They're only doing this for retail investors. Institutional Precisely. investors and, can still buy and sell yes. stuff. Which exactly we've we've talked a lot about all of this. The thing to keep in mind, and I think you've said this already more than but it's worth really hammering down on this. People are outraged because mm. and I, I'm saying this in a very loaded way, but it is also the truth the wrong sort of people are losing money here, or at least are That's at right. serious risk of losing money. Typically, like when you're short selling, you're talking about these massive hedge funds, company goes out of business, they were expecting as much, they make a shit ton of money. In this particular case, yeah. they were expecting it to go one way, it has gone a very different way. It's causing a great deal of pain to the hedge fund people and yeah. some other group of people, which it sounds like there's a lot of these Wall Street's bets guys involved and perhaps gals and Moynihan maybe. Um, but it may also be the case that there could be other people who are involved, maybe some other institutions who are also investing. But in either case, this weird cabal of people who've been active on the Internet are winning right now yeah. and potentially stand to gain many, many millions of dollars. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. There is that a are guy... There is a guy who has a YouTube channel. He's like an investment guru kind of, you know, yeah. nerd who dresses is his, up. His name like Kitty way. Litter or something weird. Yeah, like that. yeah, Kitty, yeah. Kitty Growl or something. Yeah, and uh, he posted a screenshot of you know he he invested something like seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, um, and in the beginning of all of this madness, mm-hmm. and uh, showed his balance sheet today at forty eight million, and he is a guy who lives in New Hampshire with like yeah. three kids. And yeah. so, yeah, he's the wrong kind of person to have $48 million. Um, you know, the right kind of person is somebody <laughs> is you, who, is well, no, the right kind of person is somebody who, who, uh, by their standards is somebody who I used to have some work affiliation with surprisingly, and I probably shouldn't say this, but is, uh, Leon Black, not Leon Black from Curb Your Enthusiasm, but the Leon Black that was just ousted, uh, from Apollo Capital for, um, loaning, giving, million to Jeffrey Epstein uh, over a number of years and was just investigated by his own company and just tossed from it. And 
um, one of the richest men in the U.S. I think one of the most amazing art collections. Um, one owns one of the three copies of Edvard Munch's The Scream, which he bought for $130 million. These people are the type of people wow. that should be making all this money, not um, not the average schmo. The, it's a great media story, the mm-hmm. David versus Goliath kind of thing. And, you know, it pisses off institutional investors. You saw some guy on um, CNBC, I can't remember which one it was today, saying like, you know, this is bullshit and these people are, you know, they don't know what they're doing and they're screwing everything up, et cetera. Um, it's like, well, no, actually, it looks like they do know what they're doing because there's certain players here who are getting getting their asses handed to them. But to your point, Camille, both both institutions and individuals can play this game in the volume we're seeing here. I don't think it's just people from Wall Street bets. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's just from people lurking on Wall Street bets. There mm-hmm. are people on Wall Street that are making bets in the opposite direction against these short sellers while they see the wind going in that direction. So it, I don't think it's just the average schmo that is uh, snowing these people and and uh, and and beating them up. But but here's the thing. This is the point that I think is the most important one. There's nothing illegal happening here. This is not this is not collusion. These are individuals that are talking publicly about what you should buy and why you should buy it. There's no prohibition on buying something because it hurts somebody else. Mm-hmm. That might you might think that's a bad thing if you're somebody within one of these uh, hedge funds, but it's not illegal. And it is how the market functions. Why is the price of this shitty fucking company at $350, $450 a share? Well, it actually went down because Robinhood uh, and others banned the trading of it. That's essentially what happened. And of course, these kind of average traders who have the only the opportunity to sell are selling, which is exactly what they want to happen. And the price came down a little bit towards Earth, $150, $125 today. And the reason, like, oh, my God, that's astronomical. It's that high. It's mm-hmm. like, well, no, it's not. It's, it is what it is because that's what people will pay for it. And that's how everything works. That's how prices that's not, work. That's, th- yeah. that's how prices work. This, yeah, it's absurd in a way that this company is now has a market cap of like $300 billion or something insane. Um, you know, that's selling like the Legend of Zelda out of your local uh, <laughs> mall. But, uh, but it, you know, that is, they should not be interfering here in saying, well, that's not what the price should be. I'm going to tell you what the price should be. No, 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 that's not how it works. Fuck you. The, the, also- the people who invest in... That's how it works on every other fucking stock. And don't say it now because it's somebody on Reddit. Sorry, man. There's also uh, an element of uh, looking down on the people because of the way that they behave, right? Because it is 4chan. It's a bunch Mm -hmm. of people saying stonks all day long and posting sick memes uh, wherever uh, they they can. (laughs) And like there's something unseemly about it. Even using that phrase makes me laugh. (laughs) It should. Uh, no, and, and he's doing and, he's doing one of them sick memes, uh, and and they're doing it in like so decidedly nineteen eighties <laughs> companies. They're doing it in companies that would show up in a uh, you know a movie set in nineteen eighty nine as a joke. Like, oh, look at the blockbuster, or look at the Tower com- Records, or a movie house like AMC. Or, yeah, AMC, that's it's, another it's, one that uh, they were stopped trading. Uh, uh, it's crazy, but we're nineteen nineties with GameStop, but yeah, but like the 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 notion. The, the 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 thing that's driving me uh, nuts today, and I've shared a few of these 
with uh, with uh, you all uh, today. But like, there are so many not just sort of like people Wall Street splaining out there. Like, okay, let me tell you what short selling means. Okay, fine. Like, you know, everyone yeah, wants yeah, to know. So yeah. there's a there's a purpose for that. But there's a sourness of the approach of certain people, <laughs> including people I like, like Josh Barrow. Is like, you know, this isn't funny. This really isn't funny. It's like, you know what? It's pretty fucking funny. It's funny. It's funny actually. If you yeah, can't enjoy funny. a bunch of weirdos, weird eight channers on, on and Moynihan on like Wall Street bets, driving up the price and doing a short squeeze, which is actually kind of a sophisticated maneuver, you know, exposing the margins of short sellers that they don't have a lot to back up and they don't have a lot of liquidity with which to trade. That's kind of an interesting maneuver, right? Um, and they're having a, a whale of a time and. They're talking in terms of class warfare and they're sticking it to the hedge bros and they're saying, you know, you always get bailed out. Well, what about us? We don't we don't want to get bailed out. We just want you to 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 suffer. We just want to laugh like it's it's chaotic. It's fun. And it's not the first time that irrationality, uh, you know, in quotation marks, um, has affected prices on Wall Street. That's kind of the whole thing. George Soros, the, the anyone, you know, anyone remember Kodak <laughs> from I mean, this four months ago, five does, months ago. Anyone remember the Malaysian bot or the British pound in the 90s? I mean, George Soros made his fortune on what he uh, calls the theory of reflexivity, which is a bunch of gobbledygook. But ultimately, it's it's that irrational exuberance is baked into the system. That's how you make the money. You don't pretend that all of the outcomes and prices are going to be perfectly rational. There's going to be enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. And if you lean into the enthusiasm, that's where the money lies. That could be overstated, but it's also true. I mean, if, if, to the extent uh, uh, that both of you guys have known traders or people who work on Wall Street, um, you know, I remember coming up here when I was living in D.C. right after the financial crisis, spent a week and talking to people who were friendly in the Reason universe, uh, who worked for Bear Stearns, who worked for um, uh, various people, Credit Suisse, I think, um, and kind of just like did a big what the hell happened. Uh, and especially, you know, when someone as dumb as me uh, could tell uh you know, could could see a few bubbles in there. Like it was clear that there were some bubbles in the market um, uh, before. And you would ask them about it like, yeah, we know. And the same thing happened in the uh, dot com crash in uh, 2000. Like the and, and I did a big story that came out actually in April of 2000. Uh, it was in a magazine, print magazine, predicting uh, the stock market, uh, uh, the tech bubble uh, to pop because everybody I talked to who was buying and selling this said there's no way that the fundamentals justify these prices. But we're still in it because that's where the the market enthusiasm is. So that irrationality is baked into it, as is at every step, just like. Like with pornography technology, whenever there is a possibility to goose the whole thing using technology, it's going to be goosed in that direction. None of this is new. Um, the only real huge difference is that it's kind of fun. It really is fun. Uh, and the 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 scolds coming out and saying, no, this people are going to get hurt. But, you know, some of those people who made all this money, they're going to lose their money. Yeah, dude, they know. That's why they're talking yeah, about stonks. Care. They don't care. It's <laughs> fun. Let them have. They're I doing Bernie memes. Care. Yeah, I don't I don't really care. And I mean, there's a couple things in here um, is that, you know, I don't understand. And I mean, I do understand. And, you know, I've I, I, but I was meant to say people don't understand. The average person doesn't understand. And I, I understand why that when they see an auction at Christie's and they see a Jackson Pollock painting, which looks to them as if a canvas with somebody kind of vomited on or just, you know, spilled a can of paint on goes for thirty five million dollars. They're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. 
Well, no, it does make sense. Uh, in the value of that, why is that valued at $35 million? Well, because somebody will pay that for it. Why will they pay for it? That's a very different question. But, you know, so the, the sense of like, we should set what the prices are. Like, it's funny that, you know, Wall Street and people at, at you know, um, uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Robinhood and places like this are saying, well, th these are not the prices that it, that it should be at. I mean, really? You work on Wall Street? You guys, it's raining Lambos, as they say, and on the on on the fucking Reddits. You know, the, you're saying this is not what it. And again, it's the it's the that's the the um, the wrong people buying it. But the thing that it makes this a perfect story, and why mm. I'm like kind of skeptical that it's all actually happening the way that people say it's it's happening, is because it's the perfect you know villain. It's not just that it's a populist story of the 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 little guys versus the big guys. It's the little guys versus the worst of the big guys because the worst of the big guys since time immemorial have been short sellers there have been you know how many right, times it's the quintessential in wall street speculator quintessential i mean in 1932 there was multiple bills that were introduced to ban short selling mm -hmm. right banning you have to ban short selling because that is what caused the crash that was a common idea it was common also uh in 2008 2009 there was a big talk about banning short selling uh in the financial crisis too yes. somehow it is seen um, and I think it's 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 human psychology more than actual rationality. It is seen as being uh, unseemly because you're betting on failure. But but you're also betting without your money. You're betting with someone yes, else's money right. in the sense that you're bar that's borrowing right. the stock. So from from many but that's happening with all over the place. It, it is. But it's very different in the sense that you could one, you could lose not not merely you know, more than you have, you could lose like an infinite amount of money because the price could keep going up and you just have to keep spending. And in most other circumstances, yeah. you know, you're, you're betting and there's some limit on how much you can lose, even if you're sort of betting against the market. So short selling is, is different in that respect. Um, but I'll, I'll let you finish the thought Moynihan. And then I, I want us to definitely talk yeah. about the fact that the people who are sort of aligned in support of these Wall Street bets people and the people who are arrayed against them, so to speak, <laughs> who, are, who are this, advocating yeah. <laughs> for for sort of calm mm. and peace and stability in the market. It's it's a very weird sort of constellation of people who are doing this stuff. So I want to talk about that yeah. too, but go yeah. ahead. Well, I'll just, I'll finish on this and I say that, you know, what you're talking about, um, you know, in gambling with other people's money and, and the infinite losses, the infinite losses become a lot worse when you get into options and so you know buying calls and things like that if you mm -hmm. want to if you, that that's always a, a funny thing to watch and that's actually where where kind of um green investors tend to lose a lot of money um mm -hmm. there's been a lot of talk about that and i think that the past year has been a story after story of saying that um robin hood is is the biggest evil that has ever um crossed the app store somebody a guy committed suicide um, after losing a lot of money and nothing about the story seemed to make sense that it was Robin Hood's fault. Um, and there seemed to be other factors there too. We find that out, of course, later after there'd been, you know, two, three weeks of coverage of Walt, uh, Robin Hood's actually killing people. But on the short selling thing is, is that is the constant evil, right? And, you know, as I was saying that in, in the crash in 29, it was widely considered that it was, it was short selling that was responsible and, you know, the New York Times, I, I can't remember what year it was. It might have been actually 29, 30, 31, something like that, published on the front page of the New York Times, a list of names of people that had been uh, and companies had been short selling 
Um, like these are the these are the you know the dirty dozen or however many wow. people they decided to list. It was that was, and essentially what you know the rules that came into place after that was this idea that for to to, to short sell you have to buy when a stock is that its that its previous position was lower than its current position, so it had to be on the upswing. Basically, you couldn't buy on the downswing. That was a rule for many, many years. And there are ways around that and everything. But essentially, it was only recently that that rule was totally jettisoned when there was a study done um, and said, let's 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 actually get rid of this rule on a certain number of stocks and keep it on others. And they found basically no difference. And so that was was gotten rid of. So when you hear like the regulations and the talk of regulations, that's that's inevitably going to come. It never happens except for like a huge crash or a Bernie Madoff type thing, when these people manipulate the market every day. I've been on the other end of things where I see obvious manipulation of prices. Obvious, obvious. And this is swing of like, you know, four to five dollars. It might be on a penny stock or something and people don't really notice. But if, when, when you put it all together, you're seeing an enormous amount of manipulation, like real true manipulation rather than people on, on uh, Reddit who are um, talking to each other. Mm -hmm. And it's so important, by the way, there's, there's two things I'll end on this two things that there was an, the API that Robinhood uses, which is basically the, the easiest way of saying it is that the, you know, it's just, you can get in this, what they use their programming. You can actually feed off of it and pull some of their data. And right. there was a thing called Robin tracker, which they closed down and they closed up their API because people were actually looking at what Robinhood people were buying it was like a top oh. 50 list. It was like, a, you know, a chart. And oh my God, the Robinhood momentum is going that way. So they were buying, right? So that explains a lot of this too. And there's actually a site. I don't think many people know this. There's a site that does a similar thing by scraping the tickers that are talked about on the Wall Street Bets threat on all of oh, these wow. sites. It scrapes the tickers and then in, and gives like charts based on what the conversation is about. Hmm. I have used that to great advantage. Um, and not going through every um, post calling somebody a retard, which is essentially what the whole thing is and why it gets banned for hate speech. But so that's the kind of, you know, my version of it, which somebody's going to say, actually, you're wrong. Don't send me the actually email. I'm trying to just <laughs> get it in its most basic components. Well, before we move on here, I, I want to say, because we should have done a disclaimer at the beginning, you know, anything you hear on this podcast, we are not, you know, certified financial advisors or any of that other shit. The, the advice that you're hearing from Moynihan is totally things that you should absolutely do. You're guaranteed to make billions of dollars. So just invest all of your money in the stock market. Just trust Michael You can just Moynihan. send it to me and I will handle it. That's I right. will just take care of it and That's I will right. invest it for you. That's Did you get that Venmo Add something that we had um, a guest that was going to join us uh, tonight. And we waited around because he's um, a Wall Street guy. And knows more about this than anybody has written books about it and everything. And there's a friend of mine and uh, uh, just texted me, by the way, that uh, he couldn't get a clear um, not. I misunderstood this, that he maybe had child duties or something like this um, on conflicts of uh, discussing this. Oh, um, and it gotcha. seems oh, as if he cannot discuss this oh, for he can't, reasons he can't talk about I it. will. 
Yeah, reasons Got I will it. tell you about um, okay. after we're we're, we're okay. off this broadcast. Well, I was I was kidding. I should say that we're not giving financial advice here. Please don't go invest on nope. the basis of the things that you'll hear in this podcast. I suppose I should have said that at the beginning because I don't want to open us up to any sort of legal liability. And speaking of legal liability here, there are certain people, nice, uh, like Democrat, former Democratic presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren, Senator Elizabeth Warren, who is on the warpath, insisting. That this is the language. Did you that? Language. Whoa, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't choose yeah. that deliberately. Oh, but that whoa, is warpath, appropriate, eh? isn't it? I wonder. On yeah. on the warpath, uh, <laughs> who who is very upset uh, about what she's seeing here and insisting that someone needs to get involved, probably the SEC, some of the regulatory bodies, and that they ought to insist that this what is being described by some as market manipulation ought to stop. Uh, because it is perhaps, uh, as many have described, shaking faith in the credibility of the market. Um, and, Can't have that. you know, I, I suppose there's 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 perhaps an argument to be made there. Um, and one could understand why you would want to potentially try and limit some of this behavior. But on the other side of this, there are people um, like AOC, Representative yeah. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and Senator Ted Cruz, who I wouldn't say that they have made an alliance of any sort, um, but <laughs> they <tried>. are both. <laughs> he did try, but they are both expressing concern um, about the impulse to get regulators involved here um, and the activities of outfits like Robinhood, who have stopped traders from purchasing um, these, from being able to purchase additional shares here. And the the thinking here, I think, dates back to some of the past bailouts that we've seen in recent decades. Uh, certainly when we saw some other potential uh, economic maelstroms in the United States, we've seen the federal government get involved and bail out Wall Street um, in some pretty substantial ways. And I think for a number of people to see there be so much concern, and, and it has been the case that in many places in the corporate media, you've actually seen some pretty significant expressions of consternation and concern about the weird way that this is playing out. Um, so it's, it's interesting to see how those dynamics are sort of aligning um, the, the fact that you effectively have on one side, you know, these, as you've described it, these kind of perfect villains, these Wall Street bankers with their Lamborghinis who are worth billions and billions mm -hmm. of dollars. And on the other side, you have a very strange cabal, which might include some fairly wealthy people as well. Because a lot of the people that I know in tech in the Valley are very um, elated to see <laughs> all of the difficulty that is befallen all of the investors. You saw you saw Mark Cuban, I presume. I didn't and see Elon Cuban, Musk. No. I saw Elon Musk. Cuban, Mark Cuban, Mark Cuban, Cuban had been tweeting, and he's he went on CNBC today, and uh, the host pushed back, and he he just fucking rolled her. It was great. Oh my god! He gosh. was like, "No, I don't care," and here's why. And he's been cheering them on, and obviously uh, Elon Musk, who has a reason to hate short sellers. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, Elon. Just, Elon was less Google persuasive. He's just like you know, short sellers are obviously <laughs> like evil and wrong, and like uh, you know, it's it's clear well, that yeah, they're he's going been after burned. one of his companies. 
Yeah. yeah. Did, did he make the did he make the short sellers have no reason to live joke or something? Is that, I, he made it was something uh, very oof. close to that, uh, but I probably a little bit less. Uh, it's a Randy, song, Camille. Randy Newman. Yeah, it's a <laughs> it's a Randy Newman <laughs> reference. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, not, I don't know I that song. I wasn't calling for their death. <laughs> I'm not Ted Cruz trying to murder AOC. Randy no, Newman no, has quite yet been been canceled for short people, but. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. Now it is worth a, saying that it's, that it's not it's not merely billionaires who have something at risk here in terms of the losers. Like some of these hedge funds are managing potentially pension money, and that pension money could mm-hmm. be you know teachers unions or some other you know large group of regular working folks who entrust their money to these hedge funds who are supposed to grow that money for them and protect it and make pretty safe investments. Um, but one would say that you know investing in game stock. And knowing, because people have visibility into this, that the short position here, we're talking like 100%, 120%, like that's pretty extreme. And that is well in excess of what I understand to be sort of the, the basic kind of guidelines that someone would use when they're looking at a short and saying, oh, you know, this is probably safe to do. Because this short squeeze, it's unusual for it to be manifesting itself in this way, in such a profound mm-hmm. way. But the possibility of it is something that's always been there. So the question that I, I will put to you guys as as you're evaluating this and looking at it, and obviously this is a bit outside of our our sort of regular wheelhouse, is yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, yeah. do you with hear, all these caveats in mind? Yeah, yeah. Do you hear any sort of arguments that make you suspect that? Well, yeah, it would be appropriate for regulators to get involved and to do something additional here, or it is appropriate for um, you know companies like uh, Robinhood who. They have themselves suggested that the reason why they've stopped these trades yeah. is expressly because there are some potential regulatory constraints on them or something well, like that. Well, it's like a, the details it sounds are a bit like fuzzy. a yeah. And AOC is calling like a for an investigation thing, yeah. into them. Yeah, I don't know. The, I mean, the liquidity thing is is their is their reasoning, um, and there's all these the, these sort of liquidity requirements and cash on hand requirements that. They say um, they were worried about. It's essentially what they, they, they don't give much much detail. But the question is: is what would you regulate? What is what is the thing that needs desperately to be regulated? Because of course, I mean, what all of these people know, and all these people in in the hedge fund world that make so much money. And the thing, by the way, is to to, to impugn the people who are dummies on Reddit. Have you ever met somebody who works at a hedge fund? Like not yep. not the top guy, but just the average foot soldier. They're all sure. fucking morons. They're all bro <laughs> morons. That is without exception. I know we have listeners that work at head funds. I can't endorse that. I have friends who are exceptions. Yeah, I know some smart guys too. There's always exceptions, but <laughs> the point the point the, the point being is that it, the dummies just ain't on Reddit, right? And one yeah. of the things that the smart guys up top should actually maybe be aware of is. For instance, one, don't give $275 million to a pedophile. Okay, Leon Black, that's a kind of a good idea. The second thing, for instance, is when you see 120% uh, when, when you have shorts out that the, the, the short squeeze, as you point out, is that, like things like this are, they don't usually manifest themselves this way. We've all heard the expression because it's a real thing, right? It's a real thing that can happen. If you're walking into that, knowing that your flank is exposed, that's your fault. Mm-hmm. You know that this can happen to you, that you are taking a risk. They are so used to this being a slot machine that comes up, you know, 
the three fucking whatever cherries every time they pull the lever <laughs> and that's not going to work forever and the, yeah. the thing is is the, the regulation that's going to happen is hopefully some of these dickheads will actually regulate themselves a bit when they overextend and try to just you know make ex- an exceptional amount of money from and you know a a wounded company uh, you know, essentially going out of business. And that's, that's their bet. That's what they're doing. This is the actual genius of these financial people. They're saying that store of video game, not sell online. Now I buy it, lose money. That's the kind of brilliance of these people. Right. And then they put everything into it and they lose like a quarter of a billion dollars and nobody cares and nobody should care. Sorry. And yeah. I do understand that there's some of this stuff, the pensions and the rest of it, but they've already been bailed out by a mm-hmm. company that's closely associated with Robinhood. My bigger worry in all of this um, is the moral hazard of it all. And this is something that we've been living with with now for basically a quarter century. The original sin in this, from my perspective, was in 1996 or 1997 when the long-term capital management fund uh, was bailed out. Um, This is under Mm -hmm. Robert Rubin as Treasury Secretary or whatever he was under Clinton. And like this, it was the same argumentation, uh, Camille, that you were were suggesting earlier. Like, oh, my God, if we let these guys go, you know, there's going to be the dominoes are going to knock over everybody. People are going to lose confidence. It's going to drive the stock market batty. We have to bail them out. By the way, it's the same with the auto bailout. The knock on effects are all the people who make the parts for Mm -hmm. this. It's it's often. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And and I mean, at least financial companies, um, they have a you know, they don't have factories. So like when they wipe when, yeah. when when they disappear, they can actually kind of disappear, which is more clean. But auto factories, they have all this physical stuff like uh, bankruptcy is not liquidation in the physical world. It is bankruptcy. You have to reorganize, reorganize with your creditors, you restructure and, and whatnot. And it was always sold during the Obama um, uh, Bush uh, bailout era of, of the auto industry of like, you know, if we don't do this, all of these jobs are going to disappear. That was never true. It was not for a second true. Problem is on Wall Street because of long term capital management um, and uh, and then because of the financial crisis, uh, some other things, mm-hmm. too. I mean, the peso crisis, we intervene on that, but that's currency. It's kind of a, a separate beast. But we are so terrified and and regulators, all of whom come from Wall Street, like there's no exception to that rule or mm-hmm. like are, are very much in, in bed with them. Um you know, it's their social milieu uh, and they and they can hear from somebody that they know really well. You can't do this. If Bear Stearns uh, goes under, if AIG goes under, that's it. You're going to break the buck. Mm-hmm. It's all going to uh, go cattywampus. We have to do something about it. No, the 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 best uh, possible regulation is bankruptcy. And sometimes in this case, liquidation, too. That will temper the way that you. Uh, hedge your bets or the, the way you make your bets to begin with. Um, it's when it's off the table, that's when people start making the most ridiculous types of bets. And this is kind of what happened in a, to a degree with the financial crisis or the underlying conditions of it, wh- which is that um, banks and lenders and whoever and, and people who are carving up the little bits and, and pieces that go into loans, they didn't uh, care that they were lending to people who were not really able to buy or sell uh, homes uh, at, at all or, you know, or just who were not credit worthy because there was a sense that there was a backstop. They knew at some point Fannie and Freddie or the federal government in some way was going to make this all good. Right. So every single time you get in there on afterwards, 
and you try to clean up the mess and you inject all this stuff now to the Federal Reserve is sort of supercharged to do this, um, then you make the next bet that more reckless. That is the problem. I think, um, mm -hmm. rather than like worrying, oh, you know, there might be a teacher's union that invested in a thing that went belly up. Tough shit. Tough shit. That's your fault. That's your problem. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, you shouldn't be getting a defined, you know, uh, benefit pension to begin with and open the goddamn schools. <laughs> and, 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 you know, these people never really fail, which is the thing that, you know, you, do, do you feel bad for them? It's like, well, the individuals uh, don't ever really fail. I mean, does anyone remember even the villains of of the 2007-2008 financial crisis. Hmm. I mean, no. I mean, like, you know, is it James Cain, the CEO of Bear Stearns? Nobody remembers him. He just, and, and he was one of the richest men in the country, and the company collapsed. And the, in the, the, the sort of burning embers of this uh, company was sold to Chase or whatever for, you know, pennies on the dollar. He walked away with $61 million. That's how he cashed out of that, mm. ruining people's lives. And we don't even know the guy's name. You know, I mean, I am, I am ready and Americans are ready. And this is a lot of this in the Donald Trump phenomenon, too, is to watch some of these people hurt a little bit because you fucking were one of the people responsible for the financial crisis uh, as the person running Bear Stearns. And, you know, people know that, you know, in the histories of, of the financial crisis, you'll see his name pretty prominently displayed. And you walked away with $61 million, you know, after ruining people's lives and ruining people's livelihoods and wounding a generation of people. Um, you know, that's what that's the punishment. The punishment is you didn't have 400 million. You had 61 million. That's pretty ludicrous. And I think that that's where you'll have the Ted Cruz's and the AOC's on the same side, um, because the Republican Party discovered in the past four years that beating up on Wall Street was actually a pretty lucrative business. And and Donald Trump, who is, a, you know, hates Wall Street because he's a real estate guy from New York. Right. And there's plenty of reasons for the real estate guy to hate the Wall Street people. Um, and he made that, you know, a, a big plank of, you know, and then, of course, he's you know, talked about how great the stock market was doing and never did really any anything to to rein these people in. Um, and it's reined in by a bunch of people on the internet. Again, I don't know if that's entirely true. I guarantee you that institutional investors are on the same side as the, the Wall Street bets people too, mm -hmm. uh, making some money. Sure. Um, but at, at a minimum, yeah, there are great. some now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and because I mean, this. We'll walk in there when everyone else is, is, is stopped from doing it on the, on the, 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 the sort of small ball level. Maybe we'll, if uh, Moynihan comes into town uh, this weekend, maybe we'll walk over to Zuccotti Park, uh, Camille's old uh, campground, mm. um, because they're Occupy, having yeah. a, a re-Occupy Wall Street protest that is being organized really? by who? The Young Republicans of New York. Ah. The Young <laughs> oh, Republicans wow. are doing a re-Occupy Wall Street wow. on Sunday in Bizarre Zuccotti Park. World. Yeah. Is that true? That is absolutely true. Uh, come, let's do it. That is bizarre. I mean, oh my God. So the actual, you know, populist movement is now 
it's complete if the young Republicans, that's what they if, do. Uh, like if, if Matt Getz is going to get on his uh, helicopter and throw some dissidents off and then like land uh, in uh, Zuccotti from like Wyoming, where he was like uh, burning down uh, uh, Liz Cheney's house or Lynn Cheney's house, yeah. whatever her name is. Yeah, the, um, the Pinochet yeah. of Florida. <laughs> Throwing people out of helicopters. Plenty of other stuff we could chat about this week and, and ought to. Um, one thing that I know we saw earlier this week was uh, the Los Angeles Times launching uh, a new journalistic project and the emphasis on the word journalistic there. <laughs> the, the, the tweet that I saw about this, I think you shared, Matt, introducing, quote, covering Kamala Harris, a beat dedicated to her heroic, historic, <laughs> I'm sorry, not heroic. I, I, I imagine that her historic rise yeah. to the yeah, White House yeah. because she is. And, and the reason for this special coverage is because she is the first vice president who is black, South Asian, female and the direct descendant of immigrants. So, I mean, That's this sounds <laughs> this sounds very objective and sort of like serious, rigorous journalism where they'll be speaking truth to power and holding them to account. What the hell is going on here, Matt? This is my former paper. For a while, I would argue the greatest newspaper in the United States or certainly uh, in the top couple um, in the 80s and 90s. And uh, and they still have some good good people like our friend Gustavo Ariano. Um, that's embarrassing, dude. It's just really embarrassing. And they've done good coverage over the years of how Kamala Harris is awful, um, you know, on ish, if from the perspective of civil liberties and criminal justice reform and, and kind of stuff that uh, in theory, although I'm, I'm, I'm going to lose that as a throat clear one of these days very soon, uh, but in theory that Democrats and progressives uh, should be in favor of. And actually, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to revert to my usual generosity, actually, even in looking back at uh, what you were talking about before with AOC and Ted Cruz. Um, one tiny thing that I'm heartened by in a really like otherwise bad moment of politics that we have right now is that in regards to this stuff, uh, the 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 crazy uh, uh, short squeezing stuff, AOC and Ted Cruz. But like uh, per, there's some progressives not named Elizabeth Warren who are like, hold on, don't regulate, don't overregulate, don't don't like bail out. Just hold on. We don't want to repeat the mistakes of 2008. And some of those same people, including the squad, are saying the same things after the the Capitol Hill riot insurrection civil war thing that happened. Um, like, hey, let's let's remember the lessons of 9-11 and the Patriot Act. We've got enough laws. Let's not do a bunch of new laws. So maybe there's a tiny little sliver of hope in that. Uh, just want to plant that as a possibility, even though my heart uh, is rancid. But uh, no, it's uh, it's awful. And I and I wonder darkly um and i probably should have even used a different word um but uh if that uh you know all these newspapers uh and all these media institutions have hired these huge new desks that didn't happen before they have uh all these people working on sort of the the race and equity and uh it, they don't use the word inclusion but like these large uh new coverage areas and like what are you what are you going to work on Exactly. So this is a kind of thing that would that could be. I don't know if it is in this particular case, a product of that. And it's like we got we got an email from a, from a listener, a lovely listener. All our listeners are lovely. 
doesn't mean we're going to agree <laughs> with true. you. Um, but yeah. uh, but some uh, someone was saying, you there's know, there's a few uh, were, assholes. Were, <laughs> <Sorry>. very, <laughs> but very, very few. Once very in a few. while, there's, a, there's one that will say something so, really nasty. Someone so. was mad at me and Michael because uh, we were a little bit <laughs> oh, acidic uh, or cynical about the gushing coverage of the inauguration. Um, I, and, I wouldn't say cynical is, is the right word there, but go ahead, Matt. Whatever. I mean, like that's I'm I'm channeling the the critique. Like, uh, yeah. hey, you know, come on. Like, uh, this is a this is an awesome moment to transfer power. And mm-hmm. like, why do you always have to be like that kind of thing? That was basic, the basic kind of thing. And my answer to that, besides thank you for being a loyal and great listener, and, and we love you, um, <laughs> is that is that my sense of the role of journalists in society is to not play that. Um, is to assume that. There is this thing called government all over the place, in the city, in the county, in the state, in the capital of the the country. Um, That is affecting your lives. It's taking money out of your pocket in a lot of different ways. It's spending it in different ways. It It is enforcing rules on behavior in a bunch of different ways. We have a busy amount of work, and we're not even gonna scratch the surface of it in just trying to keep up with all the different ways that that thing is going to be uh, uh, pointed uh, mostly in my view. And I granted this is more of a a libertarian point of view than the average journalistic point of view, but kind of against there, there is, there is a a, a sense of, of natural opposition. Michael Kinsley, who no one will confuse for libertarian ever, uh, wrote a series of great memos when he was the uh, opinion editor of the LA Times for about a year and a half uh, in the mid 2000s. And you can find them online if you look hard enough. And they're all great. They're all some of the best writing. And I was never a Kinsley fan before um, uh, that moment. And even during that moment, uh, only after when I saw these memos. But one of the things that he said is like, look, regulation is a net government uh, impingement on human behavior. It is literally telling you that you have less freedom. That's what it is. And like, be clear eyed about it. It's not like some beautiful, magical thing. That's what it is. And then it leads to a bunch of trade-offs questions. So for me, the role of journalism in society is to be essentially defensive in, in addition to explanatory, in addition to noting the pageantry of, of human life and political life. And so to have a beat <laughs> about the historicness of someone who holds that much power, whose whole career has been about using and flexing police power. Like it's not mm-hmm. just sort of the power of a senator, which she was for a while, um, which is, you know, Congress right now doesn't really do all that much. It's more about pontificating, but she was the attorney general of California that you have a lot of police power right there in your hands. And like, that seems to me an inappropriate use of journalistic resources, as opposed to what has she done? What will she do? What could she do as president? which she will be probably sooner rather than later. Um, and like that, uh, these sort of soft glow, nicely drawn, because there's some art that goes with it, of course, portraits about the importance of her, box checking categories uh leaves me a little cold well that's the primacy of it isn't it it's just that in the description the primacy of her identity i always think is interesting because you can't you know she's an incredibly boring person and i know that people might not want to hear that but she's she's not a magnetic speaker she's not an interesting personality she's not engaging i think i was telling you guys a friend who had gone to a 
a fundraiser for her during her presidential campaign. And like all these like big wigs and big shots who had gathered at her house, uh, at somebody's house in a donor's house in DC. And everyone left like, God, she was just kind of a drip. She's kind of boring, right? You can't say that about Barack Obama. Barack Obama was an incredibly good retail politician. He's an incredibly engaging guy. You know, he, 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 he can be funny. He can be sort of sensitive when he needs to. He can, you know, throw thunderbolts when he needs to. And this is none of it, you know, reflecting on his policies, but just as a politician, he, he was a magnetic person. And now we're in a very different moment in which Kamala Harris is allowed to have been the top cop of California and, you know, implement the bad policies that she implemented. And, and you know, particularly when it comes I mean, this things, particularly now when we're talking about policing and over incarceration and stuff, what actually should be on people's radars. And they're ignoring this because of the primacy of identity. And the thing on, on the media is... I th- and I've said this before, but I think it, I, I, this needs to be sort of developed more, is th- behind this smokescreen of we only deal in facts is allowing people mm-hmm. to just behave totally differently. Is that, you know, from, you know, the media's job is not to dispassionately sit back and, you know, write about what happened rather than interpreting it for you. The last four years was like, no, no, we have to interpret this for you because what, what everything is th- that they're saying is wrong. And mm-hmm. so I actually have to put my energy and some of my opinions into this reporting and then look at the chirons on CNN, the lower thirds, the thing that you see on the screen, the chirons on CNN in the past four years, in the four years before that. I mean, it's night and day. I mean, the, the, the way that journalism is being sort of conducted these days is totally different. And the reason it is, according to people who are out there writing these like very, very punchy and very opinionated chirons in news stories that are just like, wow, I don't recall it ever being this blatant or, you know, not raising an eyebrow that a story that is a legitimate story that might have come from a dodgy source. But that's where most good stories often do come from dodgy sources with the Hunter Biden thing is like, let's just not talk about it. Because the, the the purpose now is just to get rid of this nutcase. Well, I agreed with you. I wanted that nutcase gone myself. But at what cost? I mean, because I think that it probably would have happened either way, because journalists do one thing exceptionally well, which is overvalue their own power. They think they can change everything. Fox News goes away. If we somehow regulate Fox News into the past, then or, everything or, will be fine. In- yeah, into, into oblivion, right? the better word. Which, yeah, into people, oblivion. Uh, which, <laughs> which journalists, to be clear, are advocating right now? Journalists, yes. journalists, professors, like, please, please get get them get them off of your cable box. Go lobby mm-hmm. your cable provider. Maybe let's use the FCC, etc. Um, it's remarkable to me just this uh, uh, the the concept of the public square. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, uh, that no, The mainstream journalistic position is that the public square should be smaller, not bigger. Uh, and that's such yes. a reversal from where it used to be. And I suppose it's, most, it's most of the reversal. specific reason for consternation related to, say, Fox News and various other media platforms and social media platforms is the attack on the Capitol back on January 6th, as most of you will remember, although you may not remember the day. I don't know if that's 
yet something that's been sort of crystallized in people's mind. And a that's date a thing that, that shall not live in infamy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but at this point, uh, the, la the latest reporting I saw on this was something like 150 odd people who've been arrested um, in connection with the, the Capitol, the attack, the, the assault on the Capitol. I, I've heard some people refer to this repeatedly ad nauseum as MAGA terrorists, um, insurrectionists, seditionists taking over the Capitol. Um, that's a debate that we've had a, a number of times, but I, I think it is worth flagging sort of where those investigations are at the moment. I mean, we, again, 150 odd people, many of those people at this point have sort of been released while they're investig while the investigations continue and while they're legal situations play out. Oftentimes these are invest, these are prosecutions that begin in whatever state that they live in, in some sort of federal court before it sort of proceeds any further. Um, but at the moment, the FBI is interested in trying to put together potential sedition cases and looking at trying to find sort of patterns um, of people coordinating and doing things uh, in a way that would suggest that there was some broader conspiracy. We haven't seen much in the way of evidence that they actually have any really blockbuster cases related to that. You'll see something with like three Oath Keepers um, who had some text messages go back and forth in which they were saying some things that seemed pretty scintillating. Um, but in terms of kind of a broader, widespread conspiracy, something to substantiate a lot of the earlier concern that we've seen expressed about this, that, that still seems to be petering out. Nevertheless, we're still seeing a lot of talk about new domestic terror le legislation from certain circles. We're still seeing, as was just mentioned, journalists calling for major media outlets effectively to be shut down because they're being castigated as propaganda vehicles, as uh, mechanisms for inspiring people to join the ranks of these seditionists, to, to use a word that's been thrown around a bit. The fact that that doesn't really seem to have taken shape just yet, and we'll have to see, you know, the, the federal investigators, um, federal prosecutors, they take some time to put their cases together. The Biden administration is very, very busy at the moment, um, so it'd be some time before they can get sort of their higher level officials to sign off on these cases and say, yeah, run with that ball. Um, but one, one suspects that you might be seeing a little bit more action. And instead, rather than kind of ratcheting up the heat here, we've actually seen them kind of pull back on the throttle a little bit in a couple of these cases, like the case with the guy who had these zip ties that we talked about. Uh, about a week ago. I mean, I, I wonder what, what your takes are on on where things stand right now, gentlemen. And we mentioned a moment ago, the squad um, has sent a letter and they've come out sort of stridently against some of these domestic terror legislations. Although when I went back and read the letter um, that uh, Rashida Tlaib, I believe, is the one who was at the forefront of this with a bunch of signatures on it, the principal thing that they were concerned about was the fact that these kinds of laws, you know, at every point in the past have been targeted at minorities and maybe that could happen again here. Um, I'm, I'm a bit more broadly and generally concerned about domestic terror legislation that would make it easier to prosecute American citizens um, as terrorists. Camille, just to point out, it has been already directed towards minorities, considering the head of the Proud Boys was arrested. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some other minority MAGA people that uh, were arrested in the siege yeah, of the Capitol. 
A few. Yeah. Oh, I've seen I'm, some, I'm also, some headlines I'm, I'm about disparate, disparate treatment there as well. But go ahead, Matt. I'm good with pointing out that um, uh, law enforcement legislation is going to be disproportionately um, uh, wielded at minorities who aren't necessarily the target. I just might def- define minorities a little bit different than common parlance of it, but it's, mm. that's actually a, an effective uh, rhetorical thing. And I'm glad to see it, honestly, um, uh, uh, you know, take the race element out of it for a second. Mm-hmm, but just mm-hmm. people, people so much during the uh, Trump administration did not address their own cognitive dissonance of like, uh, like, oh, Trump is is terrible. He's authoritarian. He, he might be even a fascist in the, in the worst possible case. And that's why the government needs to take more power to do X. Like, like what? <laughs> um, um, but actually, we're kind of seeing that a little bit in these in these discussions, like people are, are, are doing the mental exercise of sure, the really bad people did the thing. But if we overreact to that, the good people might get hurt, too. Um, the language in that, the a bunch of stuff associated with, with those observations are definitely going to offend the sensibilities or outrageous sensibilities of Camille Foster and possibly me, too. Um, however, that as a basic mental exercise is healthy. And we should think about it always of like this is this law, this this new authority that you're going to have um, uh, if, if it if it happens that way is going to be used uh, perhaps even against the people or sympathizers with the people who want to push it. And, and we should constantly think about that. The The problem in America isn't necessarily at any given time that we don't have enough federal laws about the stuff that's illegal. Um, there's a whole lot of those laws. And, um, and, and you, you, the way you set it up, uh, Camille, you sort of uh, uh, said that some of this is, is kind of uh, – collapsing or, or, or kind of a, a losing system. I think it's too soon. I think it's too soon. No, I think it, we did. Yeah, it hasn't, it hasn't developed yet is, is what I, what I'd prefer to say. And, and for, I suppose what I'm suggesting is that, is that my expectation would be that if there was any there, there, that we would very likely have already seen potentially some leaks or some indication that they were really ratcheting up pressure here. And I'm saying that that hasn't materialized yet. It is possible yes, that we'll see and- more, but people were very confident early on that there was this broad, deep, widespread conspiracy. Or that that, you know, Congress people were bringing bringing the MAGA terrorists in to scope out the building. And those stories really did collapse, as far as I can tell. Um, So, yeah. And it's important to realize as you are reading and consuming. And this is also true after 9-11. It's like always put that comp in your mind Mm -hmm. um, uh, that uh, at the beginning of any investigation and any kind of post um, crime, post event thing, you are going to see the prosecution's point of view in the media for the next week, month, two months, year, whatever. Like it's their leaks. It, the Proud Boys ain't leaking to you. Um, and so like you're going to see whatever you have right now is probably at this point, um, uh, you know, I will hold out the possibility that there's going to be some kind of intelligence that they're waiting for people to collapse upon each other. In fact, I think it's some of that's probable. Like, yeah, let these guys walk out because they're going to walk straight over to the person they collaborated with. So, yeah, more could come. But generally speaking, we're going to get the most out of prosecutorial leaks right now and investigatory leaks right now. And the end result is going to be somewhat less. That's how these things usually go. Um, And then it's going to be worth taking a look around and saying, "Okay, did we just put like a 
Did we just make a green zone in Washington? Did we just put like fencing a mile around government? Um, you know, did we just put on a super high, like, a permanent garrison of National Guard who can't like get a proper meal to eat in Washington, D.C.? That's kind of creepy. Um, are, are we are we are we overestimating the enthusiasm uh, after this kind of culminatory event um, for more stuff like this to happen at state capitals for the next four years. I'm already kind of suspecting that, but maybe I'm, uh, you know, uh, being optimistic or turning a blind eye to the the permanent, you know, QAnon insurrection. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, the permanent QAnon insurrection seems to look. I mean, the, the number of people you see at, I mean, Matt, you went to Tea Party protests, uh, you know, to cover them, and you know, I went to a bunch of them too. Score weed. It, uh, yeah, so that's where I, I was. I was selling fentanyl at the Tea Party protest. Um, people don't know that. That's actually just a, a reveal for the first time. Um, but you know, I mean, these are people that are an older crowd who you know there was a galvanizing event, right? And that galvanizing event was the financial crisis and the Obama administration's response to it. I don't know now. The galvanizing event is was the stop the steal. That's going to go away because Joe Biden is the president. Yeah. And I think that there's no there's not going to be a lot of forward motion on that. And I was talking to some of the people or one person in particular. I, you can look at the piece online. It's actually up now of me talking to a guy who went uh, drove across country, left his entire large family to go protest the steel. And he was he seemed completely deflated by it all. It's like, okay, it didn't work, and I don't know what's next, and we're just we're just kind of standing back at the moment. You're always going to have the kind of proud boy types who go out and try to be reckless and, and try to create situations. Or, I mean, this, is, this happened throughout. I mean, they had the run of the government in 2016, you know, both houses, you know, president. And there are people going out there punching things up. There's always going to be that those those types of people. And there's a guy that was arrested, I think, today, walking around with a gun in D.C. Um, uh, and, and apparently, when he was arrested, he was like, "This fence. There, I want to know what's going on. I want to know who's occupying the Capitol." And apparently, he was he was cooperative, and that was that. But um, yeah, I guess in the 9/11 context, you would say the fence was the, the was responsible for it. What did we do to make him so mad? Well, we put up a fence, and and it's actually the fault of the fence. That was essentially the <laughs> argumentation after 9/11. But you know, at this point, it's if if we hear this stuff from the FBI, it's really interesting of how Democrats have become great lovers and protectors of the FBI, and Republicans who during the time of you know, J. Edgar Hoover and post-Hoover were kind of champions of the FBI, of saying, well, you know, the FBI says there's going to be protests at all 50 state capitals on the, the day of the inauguration or the Sunday before the inauguration. It didn't happen. Virtually nothing. There were two people. Nothing. Yeah. So my question yeah, two, is... Two people okay, in two well, different cities. <laughs> in two different cities, too. They couldn't even bring a friend. Friends were like, are you fucking kidding me? It's Sunday. I'm going to watch the yeah. Three Stooges and like smoke a bowl. It's like, I'm not, I don't care. It's like, this is, you know, in what nobody asks of the FBI. Um, and of course, they're not going to give it, but you should, you know, bring this up as a point of say, what was this intelligence? Mm -hmm. Because it was wrong. I mean, even if, well, our pressure, you would expect 25 people in each state. 
or five people in each state at least. I mean, just nobody showed up because they're so scared of the FBI. Michael, we're hearing a lot of chatter. We're hearing a lot of chatter. Chatter is always (laughs) my favorite. It means that like some guy left a comment on his wife's fucking Instagram account or something. And it was just like, I'm really mad. And it's like, all right, the chatter is out there. But, you know, if, if it is the case that the FBI has very easily, with its own pressure, prevented 50 protests in 50 state capitals, this problem isn't that bad then, is it? If they have the power in one week to to foil and push back 50 eradicated. protests, yeah. Yeah. they've eradicated, amazing the power of the FBI, or maybe, more, more possibly, they were wrong and there was a bit of th- threat inflation going on here because people want threat inflation at the moment. And the guy that was stopped in the Capitol who was like lost coming from Front Royal, Virginia. <laughs> and it was like 30,000 tweets within the five minutes of that story. Break. It's here. You know, the apocalypse is upon us. They're, they're invading the Capitol. It's like, yeah, it's a dopey guy who forgot his gun was in the car and he's lost. And they're like, oh, fuck, I was really thought the revolution was here. It would, it would confirm all my priors and be excited about it. Uh, there's, a, there's another uh, parallel with 9-11 that I want, to, I want people to think about. Um, and this is going to sound weird at first, but bear with me, oh which boy. is this. Oh boy. Um, no, 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 no. Um, but beware the You're people the who plane, were right. were empty? No, yeah. not yet. Okay. Yeah. Good. They were yeah. holograms. Okay. Made, be sure you're not using that pizza. one, Matt. Go ahead. <laughs> there, there were people who uh, in the late 90s were saying like the biggest threat uh, is Islamic terrorists. They're coming for us. They're going to blow us up. And uh, and they were right. And for a good year, a year and a half, they had the run on cable networks and everywhere else. Like, oh, my God, this guy was right. We better listen to Richard Pipes. <laughs> um, no, no, Richard that, Pipes, Daniel Pipes, Daniel Richard, Pipes, Richard Pipes is Richard's, his father, who's a great historian. Richard's good. Daniel's bad. Um, but like, uh, <laughs> but there are a lot of people who it took some years. It took mm-hmm. quite a few years in many cases for people to go, oh, wait a second. They've just been saying that the sky is going to fall. Um, and in many cases saying it like in a pretty like objectively crazy way. But for those few months after 9-11, objectively crazy sounded like a hell of a lot more bracing and correct than the usual kind of muddling through, um, uh, you know, especially when you see the rubble of, of the two towers and, and other places. Um, so like but that's what happens uh, in, in moments of high stress. The people, you know, the SPLC, Southern Poverty Law Center. Are now going to be hailed like, like, uh, like soothsayers and and and, and prophets and truth tellers, but they're not. The quality of their work has been in the last ten to fifteen years notoriously really shoddy. Um, mm-hmm. And even if they were saying in those past ten to fifteen years, watch out, the right wing terrorists are going to do a terrible thing. And in fact, some right wing weirdos um, did a terrible thing doesn't mean that they are right. And it doesn't mean that the way that they look at the future is going to be correct. It doesn't mean that their analysis of who is dangerous right now is correct uh, and not Uh, keep that in mind, because I, you know, again, like when you watch 10 minutes of cable news, you see all of those people front and center telling us about what's going to happen next. One final thing on this is that there's something the unique thing, obviously, about 9-11 was just the catastrophic death toll and just how shocking the actual method of death was. You know, the method of death is always the thing that that's a thing that really affected people. You could be on a plane and fly into a building. This is something that's so horrifying to people, um, you know, almost like, you know. 
Hiroshima, the bomb in Hiroshima probably killed less, fewer people than the bombings of, you know, Hamburg and Dresden combined, but it was the way of death. That was the problem rather than the actual numbers. And so that really jarred people. And the response to that, as Matt points out, was, you know, made a certain amount of sense. And then you have Richard Reed, the shoe bomber, and then Zacharias Massawi is arrested. And then, you know, fighting in Afghanistan, and there's all these little plots and Lackawanna and all these little things that turn out to be to be not as big as initially claimed, as you were saying about this event, Camille, that, you know, that happens. But now you're going to have right-wing terrorist attacks as you have had fairly consistently in America here and there from Timothy McVeigh to, um, you know, Eric Rudolph uh, at the, the bombing in 96 at the, at the Olympics and, you know, abortion clinic attacks is a bunch of these you can aggregate and find uh, always instances of people doing things like this. The point that you see being made on cable news that was a, an attempt to differentiate this was that it was actually an attack on the core of our democracy. Is that true? Well, yeah, in a way it is true. I mean, that was the, the desired result. But m why I hesitate is that it wasn't even close to being effective. And I see a, a, a you know, huge heaving mass of people, all who own probably 40 guns a, a, a person, and none of them have guns on them. It's mm -hmm. not the, that's not how you actually take over the government. That would presumably, they would bring their guns with them if they had a goal in mind like that. So when you frame it as, you know, this is the, they're trying to actually supplant the gun. It's not never going to happen. It's insane. You know, it's insane. But when you use those sort of existential terms, it, you know, it's inflates the threat a little more and says, this is going to be a thing we're going to deal with. What I'm going to promise you is that there will be another attack from some fucking lunatic right winger. You know, as Matt likes to point out, he did a couple of times the last two podcasts. We've already forgotten about the bombing in Nashville. Was it Nashville? I don't know if it was it Nashville or. Yeah. yeah, I think it was Nashville. Right. And that, and that guy, was a lunatic whatever winger. It was, a, like, it was a, exactly. It was a lunatic whatever, but it was a 5G thing. 5G, the 5G yeah. thing could have easily been any number of Alex Jonesy things that are like nominally right wing. Easily. It just he mm -hmm. happened upon the 5G thing. That's the brain of these people. It could be, you know, you know, what is Alex Jones talking about now? It could be a QAnon. He could have been a QAnon guy easily. There's going to be a QAnon person that's going to do what they did at Common Pizza, which is, you know, come and, and, and be mentally ill. But that does not mean that it, it fuels cable ratings. And I, I, I recommend to everybody. Sorry, <laughs> something's spitting out of my mouth. I recommend to everybody, <laughs> your as, teeth. as I, I, my toe <laughs> fell, I can't believe it. I sent you guys a video and I, I think I sent you a, a text later saying, make sure you watch it. And it was Joe Scarborough mm. talking about, I don't even really remember. It was about the terrorist GOP or something. They were terrorists. I, you know, fine. Great. Mm -hmm. It was, it showed me everything that was wrong with cable news everything in one clip go watch it because it's two and a half minutes or something and it is the most performative clearly obviously performative thing i have ever seen on television it is a disgrace and an embarrassment to use his language you have to amp it up and you have to say it's a disgrace and an embarrassment because it was like you know it was like a steve gutenberg level of acting it was horrendous <laughs> and he's just going you know i'm so upset 
He's so upset about everything. I can't even take it anymore. And I'm like, you fucking scumbag. You ratings chasing scumbag. I don't like it when fucking Sean Hannity does it. I don't like it when fucking whoever, whoever else is on Fox that I don't watch does it. I don't like it when he does it either. And it is just a fucking ridiculous over the top. I can't believe it. And then like two minutes later, you send a long tweet, Matt, from the increasingly absurd Jeff Jarvis, who is a, a media professor of some sort. I don't know what he does beyond tweet absurdities. Is, is he employed somewhere? <laughs> I mean, does he pay money to tweet these? And he's like, an amazing point made here by some shithead on MSNBC who's some shithead professor at some pointless university says the GOP is the Sinn Féin to uh, the Stop the Steals IRA or whatever the hell it was. What's wrong with that? Besides everything, <laughs> besides the fact that the Pretend head I'm of the, dumb. What's wrong with that? I mean, the head of the fucking... Sinn Féin was Jerry Adams, who was also the head of the IRA's Army Council and who personally was involved in the disappearance of a mother of 11, Jean McConville. I mean, these are like, you know, minor things of the 1500 people murdered by the IRA. I mean, this is an obscene, obscene comparison. You're using a terrorist organization for a reason. You could easily say there is another group out there where you say we don't have anything to do with it. But you're kind of whispering to them. That's what they're saying, right? That's what the the whole Sinn Féin, we're not, we're not, we don't need to the IRA. But, you know, we, we know what they're thinking. There's a million examples you can use. But then you use that one, and it's a brilliant thing. It's on MSNBC. No one will mention it again. It just disappears. It goes off into the ether. And then, like, you know, 80 million people t- tweeting that, like, you know, Tucker Carlson said this, but it's, you know... He might have been talking about white nationalists. It's like, I don't care. All of you can go fuck yourselves. All of you with your stupid fucking cable shows can go fuck yourselves. But you talk about, you do this like it's a terrorist organization. I, I mean, I, I have to, I, do I have to throw clear and say, I don't like the GOP in any way? I think, no. it's, I think it's a shit, shit party full of shit people. I mean, not <laughs> one of them that I have any fucking respect for at this point. You don't, you don't well, like one, anybody. Peter right. Meyer. Yeah. Peter, Peter, Peter's pretty, pretty good. And <laughs> Mike's I, pretty good. You know, Chip Roy was, has done some good. He's been interesting, too. But, you know, I mean, at this point, like, it's a one-sided, lopsided thing. There's no outrage for this stuff. And, and, you know, because the narrative has been on television constantly that there's just a terror group out there terrorizing in terror, terror, terror. It's like, I didn't, we've talked about this before, and I need to go it again, if it, whether this was a terrorist attack or a utterly shameful attack that doesn't have to be elevated to the level of terrorism, which then elevates lawmakers into the position of making new laws against terrorism. And that's never good. Here's a fact check, or here's a way, sorry, to divine the way that the uh, the weather vane is going in the media right now. Uh, look at what the fact checking organizations are going to be devoting their fact checks to. Uh, because under Trump, we know it was, it was going to be Trump and Trump related stuff. Um, and that's a target rich environment because he uh, lied every single day um, about really stupid stuff, about big stuff, uh, consequential, inconsequential, but whatever burger he was eating. I mean, literally, he was, he, yeah, as as Mary McCarthy said about Lillian Hellman, every word she says is a lie, including and and the. And that, is, uh, that is essentially Donald Trump, too. Just just crazy. Um, so USA Today uh, yesterday 
did a fact check about an openly, admittedly uh, satirical tweet by the guy who ran as vice president on the Libertarian Party ticket, Spike Cohen, who's actually pretty funny. Um, Spike uh, Cohen. Spike Cohen. It's a good name. Like, uh, but uh, who it was uh, back when. I've, like a week ago or so, there was somebody in the, I believe in the uh, administration, or maybe it's just John Brennan, who's always in everywhere saying something stupid. Oh, saying like, yeah, we got to go after these, uh, these oath keepers and these tea partyists and these, you know, keep an eye out on, on you know, and some of these libertarians too, because, you know, who knows what they're going to do next, right? So Planet Libertarian is like, oh my God, what are you talking about? And Spike Cohen uh, tweeted out like, yeah, well, he's soon, now that uh, now that the CIA is coming after libertarians, maybe they'll give us some of their guns or so, something like that. It was a mildly funny like tweet, but it was like so obviously sarcastic. USA Today fact checked wow. Spike Cohen's sarcastic tweet about the cia now giving us you know giving us uh, giving libertarians uh guns uh i'm not i'm not an us i'm us in the fifth column i must for reason magazine Who's that's Spike cohen he ran from the, he the, this exactly um no he? that's what they're doing i mean like uh, did did joe biden really say that he was going to be uh surveilling libertarians no he did not Oh, well, um, I'm glad that's cleared up. So that's cleared up. So, yeah, that's that's where uh, watch that energy. A lot of that energy is going to be pointed at uh, what Marjorie Fuckwad Green uh, is is oh, saying. God. And that's and, and like that's I mean, that points to a real problem. It's not that, that there isn't a, an underlying fundamental problem right now with the GOP, uh, the biggest uh, that they have. And it's going to color everything, including impeachment, which we thankfully haven't talked about. Uh, but is that the biggest, most important uh, person figure in the party is still Donald Trump and um, and he can still mm-hmm. command the voters and the people who are elected officials in Washington uh, are still like trying are trying to triangulate with that. And it's all messed up. Uh, At least that is yeah. a re- that is a real thing, as is the uh, kind of feedback loop of insane information. This is a, a way in which that. Uh, direction of the Jeff Jarvis critique or the Jay Rosen critique or the critique of a lot of the media, the direction is at least half right. They're you know, sort of identifying there's something wrong with the Republican and conservative uh, and media. They're in a feedback loop. There's something kind of diseased with it. Um, I, I actually agree with that. Um, but then the question is, uh, is it only on that side and also what what is the best role of a journalist or media organization to deal with that that's where we're going to fundamentally disagree because i think the best thing to do is do your own fucking business better rather than say you it's a bad idea to ever allow those people near our public square because they are uh you know they are fundamentally wrong I think that's a terrible idea. What you want to do is make your own work the best as it possibly can be, the most convincing that it can possibly be. And people who are on the fence of the crazy um, might go off the fence of crazy and be open to ideas, not political conclusions, but just like open to, you know, maybe there is something to the fact that Trump lost in court. 63 times and won once when he was challenging electoral results. Maybe that's not just, uh, you know, media bias telling me that. Well, we'll have to see just how much power and influence Donald Trump is able to retain. It, it's obvious that there's no there's no clear 
there's no clear new power center in the Republican Party, but Donald Trump isn't saying all that much or, or doing all that oh, much. Oh, today he moment. said he doesn't did, have to. Did you doesn't see today to. he said, like, I'm more popular than ever? Oh, no. And I just love the fact yeah, that he's just, constantly. Just barely. It's popularity. <laughs> Yeah. He's like, am I popular? He's like, I'm more popular than ever. I'm more popular than Jesus. He's the. John I mean, of, yeah, but like Mar-a-Lago. within the con- within the context of the Republican Party, he's not wrong. No, he's who's, not. Who's no, he's, more he's talking about it. <laughs> he he yeah, cast yeah. he cast a long shadow, but it's it's more like the stench that that you smell from that guy who was just in the room, but he left about five minutes ago. I, I mean. I don't know how long is that it. You're talking about a particular guest that we've had on. The it's studio? just a thing oh, that that's happened. That's rough. That's rough. <laughs> it's just a thing that happened one time. Um, but but I, I do want to. I do want to. If you can guess just the for guest, <laughs> no, don't stop free, it. A free stop Patreon it. account. Stop it. <laughs> I do want to talk briefly about uh, John Brennan since you brought him up, Matt, who's a you know former Obama CIA director, um, but he's also kind of the 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 cue of the left in some respects, right? I mean, this is a guy who for most of the four years of the Trump administration, at least the first two and a half, um, he spent most of them telling us, oh, no, no, no the, the other shoe is about to drop. Something huge is about to happen. We know that the facts are about this, tick, tick, this tick. Russian investigation. It's coming right now. This is about the time. So for him to be on MSNBC now, giving these authoritative, making these authoritative proclamations about what we're about to discover. And that quote there, I just pulled it up because it, it stuck out to me so much, mostly for the even libertarians conclusion. But the front part of it matters too. We're now looking forward that the members of the Joe Bi- of the Biden team who've been nominated or have been appro- appointed are now moving in laser-like fashion to try and uncover as much as they can about what looks very similar to the insurgency movement that we've seen overseas, where they germinate in different parts of the country and they gain strength and it brings together this unholy alliance (laughs) frequently of religious extremists, authoritarians, fascists, bigots, racists, nativists, and even libertarians. Like, that's... Are you kidding? That's way over the full the top. quote is, is is crazier. I I didn't I didn't see that full quote. That's actually crazy. Way over the top. Um. So you know you mentioned some people who had been proclaiming for some period before nine eleven. You know Islamic extremists. They're they're a problem. Them gaining some pro- prominence. John Brennan, for whatever reason, like this man cannot be destroyed. Like he was giving bad, false it seems um, information. Um, as a commentator, three and a half years ago, he's still on television, still sufficiently well respected um, to be a respected commentator. It sounds cynical what I'm going to say, um, and I'm sorry for it. Um, but uh, so much of the media universe, and this is not limited to cable news at all. So much of the of the kind of political scrum universe, and some of that is media, some of it's you know, a, a political consultants, uh, you know, Lincoln Project type people. It's like, what use are you? Are you a club that I can pick up and then whack um, the opposing team reliably? Are you? And you can complete a sentence. Good contributor contract here. Um, there isn't a lot of fact checking. Uh, did your predictions pan out? Did were your um uh, analyses accurate in the moment um it's it, the the value proposition in too many cases is the effectiveness of the club 
Um, and that goes in all directions. And again, it's not just a cable news thing at all. It's 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 uh, across the board. Um, that's how people view uh, or uh, even as a like a managerial strategic way, whether they co- are conscious of it in those terms is, is is slightly different. But like, oh, yeah, let's get him on. He's always has something good to say here for this. So in that sense, there isn't a lot of like, oh, you know what? He was exaggerating 18 months ago here. Like, no, um, Biden, power, bad guys coming after us. Who's going to be good for that? Pick up the club. Whack. That's the way that it's looked at. And this is something that is that has haunted um, uh, uh, media critics for a long time. It's like, my God, how many times do you have to be wrong you know, before you are the marketplace punishes you. And the uh, the 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 bad news is that uh, there isn't a, there isn't a number on that. Um, the number is, or like the mechanism for making that right is not going to be at the people who value the size and the shape of the club with which to beat people. It's the rest of us. When you see someone out there being wrong, being hyperbolic, um, making outrageous claims and saying that it's brilliant doing this that's why we call this out that's why we notice it uh not necessarily because we're smarter than everybody else camille is obviously might michael <laughs> might be um but also like you have to be able to just like with your with you know if you're on any social media twitter is is the one that's obvious for journalists but you have to spend some time like Calling that garden, maintaining some some kind of order over what you're seeing. If you're surrounded by people who are saying bullshit, you have to unfollow them or if they have power, you have to like go in and sort of correct them. That's the world that we live in. Um, the power dynamic is what wants to always reassert itself. The truth dynamic or the honesty dynamic is one that requires effort all the time to say, no, John Brennan, actually, you are on record as being a liar mm-hmm. in Congress, sworn on oath to talk about whether the CIA that you fucking ran spied on Diane Feinstein's computers, which you fucking did, and then lied about and had a high dudgeon about. Um, There's a word for that. I think it's perjury. <laughs> it's perjury. He committed perjury. He should not be. It's, it's a stain on MSNBC or any cable network. Just as mm-hmm. it's a stain that uh, that uh, that uh, Fox News would you know hire Oliver North or whoever else, but people who are who <laughs> are li- liars for a living, <laughs> not just like racist, but also like racist liars um, for a living. Um, the, 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 you know, it's on them, and so it's up to us to point that out. It gets a little bit tedious you know the, sometimes the, or exhausting, but you have to do it. The funny thing about about Fox News' former association with Mark Furman is it's not even that they hired a racist. They hired the one guy that allowed OJ to get away with murder. <laughs> They're like, we should put you on the payroll. It's like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Um, no, I think that the thing that if you believe that Fox News is the problem, you're the problem. Because it's not Fox News that's the problem. Fox News is a problem, I think. And I'm I'm sorry, I'm just going to say that I agree that this stuff is not good for the average American to be consuming this, particularly the, 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 the just the frequency with which a lot of people are watching cable television. There, there, there's a point, particularly with older people, that they go down these rabbit holes and they just become obsessed with Fox News and they watch it morning to night and I think it's bad for people. But it's if you believe that Republicans lie... 
or if you believe the Democrats lie, you're the fucking problem. Because the issue is, the problem is actually not Fox News, it's cable news. And it's both channels, it's all channels. Because what is the perverted and perverse incentive structure here? Is to have the person on that does the fake fucking bullshit, I'm so upset, Joe Scarborough. He's like, I just can't even believe it. I'm sure he just goes off set, like, I'm steaming. I'm so upset. He's like, he just goes to commercial and then they... They put a little more HD makeup on his fucking pale face. Sorry, my, I have low blood sugar, which is why this is exceptionally angry. Um, that's the beeping that you hear. Um, you know, and, that's, and that is the same. It's the same thing in Twitter. It's like it is the incentives are totally backwards. The incentives are you're going to be rewarded. The more outrageous, the more idiotic. This is talk radio proved this to us in the early 90s. Um, which is kind of a creation of the early 90s. Rush Limbaugh was such a unique figure at the time that he was on the cover of Time magazine. I mean, go, go back and he's like, what is going on? This is like a revolution in communication because, you know, you're driving your truck across country or you're driving your kid to school or whatever, picking them up, and you just turn this guy on and he is foaming at the mouth and there's some sort of outlet for you in that. It's It's nice to hear someone. But the problem with that is that you get these guys that when they go on cable news sound a lot different than they do when they go on other outlets. I mean, there are some people that are like this. They're actually quite serious and interesting people. And they're like, okay, I have two minutes. I'm going to get really angry. And you know where that ends up? That ends up like, let's ratchet up the anger. Donald Trump actually won the election. That's like the ultimate cable news kind of place to land, right? Because you get like, it is it is just this punchy thing. They stole it. The Democrats are liars. We've been telling you this for four years. They've been playing with this early voting thing. And all of these little breadcrumbs lead to this just big pile of nonsense. And it is cable news. Like, it, has anyone gotten anything nutritious out of cable news. No, I watch it periodically so I can say these people are fucking losers on this podcast. <laughs> if this podcast except, didn't exist, I would never fucking watch it. Except it our good friend Steve Kornacki always does super good number crunching and analysis on cable but news. That and he's is also exactly, I'm sorry, that is exactly the point. And the, the point is, after the election, endless numbers of articles and people in uh, New York Times and on Twitter praising Steve Kornacki. And you know what? They're absolutely right, too. I don't have to... I, I, I can compete with anyone in my Kornacki hagiography. Right? <laughs> but the thing is, people were like, oh, my God, he's giving us information. It's like, yeah, no, that's amazing, isn't it? Imagine if all the other fucking idiots gave you information instead of, like, slobbering all over themselves and being, you know, Lawrence O'Donnell or, you know, fucking Marita, Maria Barta, Barta Who's Not or whatever the hell her name is. Our girlfriend Kennedy is also great and has a great program. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, Kennedy yeah. also uh, leavens everything with humor and mm -hmm. has a personality and has a, like, does a show and, like, it's... It's fun and it's funny and it's not pretending to give you like the end all be all of everything. She's a good, tough interviewer, which is actually, you know, mm -hmm. you don't get that. I mean, what's on who's going on Laura uh, Ingram show and getting a really, you know, this is an incredible exchange. <laughs> this is like this is like watching an episode of Firing Line. No, it's like. This is like I want to be on the other end of a firing line. This watching cable news, and well, sorry to to Steve, you know, pays his paycheck. I also think that Chris Hayes, who is a friend, um, you know, has has gotten a little too ideological during the Trump years. I think there's a certain element of 
you know, it kind of has to happen when the president speaks in the language that that provokes that kind of response, to be honest. But Chris is a very smart guy, too. There are people in cable world that do good things here and there that you'll have a good long interview with somebody that might be interesting. But but the the, the ones that, that give Dan Abrams a separate career at Mediate, um, th- it's just unnecessary. They they add nothing to the conversation except for, uh, you know, pissing me off and amusing me sometimes and allowing us to, to have this uh, podcast. We should get out of here in a little bit. But the one thing I did want to bring up briefly is, I mean, Joe Biden, I think briefly. he's at what, day nine, day 10. <laughs> um, there's just been a steady stream of executive orders. I think the fewest he signed on any given day is like two um, in terms of any of the working days in office. Um, and it's a sufficiently big deal that the New York Times editorial board uh, even penned an op-ed titled Ease Up on the Executive Actions, Joe. Um, now, what you get from the New York Times editorial board is not so much a, oh, you know, executive power is being sort of overreached and, you know, you, you well, want the Congress to be involved in legislating. The, the reason that they're concerned about this is because what Joe Biden is doing in a number of instances is overturning executive actions taken by the previous administration um, and simply sort of putting these new things in. And it's it's the sort of thing that could happen again if he's to lose. Um, so they're mm-hmm. encouraging him to seek out legislative remedies. Go do the hard work of getting Congress to pass new laws so these things can't simply go away. Um, but rather than get into that particular conversation, I am somewhat interested, gentlemen, if you've been paying any attention to any of this and if any of these things that stuck out to you. Um, it's certainly the case that you know I've, I've seen like border wall stuff getting stopped. Uh, there's some things related to like COVID nineteen. There was a, a yeah, racial war. equity. What was the rate? There was a racial equity one. Yeah, there was a battery of battery of executive orders related to that. Yeah. Do you feel like a like you feel, do you feel safe in America now, Camille? <laughs> <laughs> well, as a non-black man, I think it's interesting to to take a look at this because I mean I know there are some people who are you know very much on the kind of oh my god woke apocalypse side of things mm-hmm. um i'm i'm sufficiently concerned about the sort of tenor of our conversations about race as anyone who's listened to this podcast or heard me talk in public knows um but i also um think a lot of what's going on here is just that it's going to be a bunch of in- ineffectual bullshit um the the biden administration this week took the step of taking some executive action to restrict the use of private prisons in this country and you know, for a lot of people, they applaud that and they're like, yeah, we're finally doing something about mass incarceration. Of course, restricting the use of private prisons, most prisoners aren't in private prisons. And yeah. there is at least some reason to believe that private prisons can be sort of responsive to incentives in important ways. And there have been some locales where they've been successful in helping to have the private prisons be incentivized to not want to see recidivism rates be particularly high. Again, there's only so much the prison itself can do um, or to encourage the private prisons to ensure that their sort of quality of services are a little higher. It's not as if a publicly operated prison is necessarily going to be the best possible place for inmates in terms of their safety and security. Um, but more than that, but the, the incentives issue are different, with massive- though, right? I mean, isn't that the thing? 
The I incentives mean, the, the, can, the question, they can be different. They can be different. I mean, your goal is not your own obsolescence, which is putting your company out of business if there's no prisoners, right? I mean, that's the objection to private prisons. But that objection willfully ignore the reality of applied political power in the country, in particular in, in state that I'm aware of, uh, which is California, which is to say the prison guards unit in California is consistently top 10, probably top five of uh donors to political campaigns uh, and they uh, they were behind the three strikes law in California which trailblazed for the country the um you know i forget the name of the con- uh, company was it edison or something but they went bankrupt um that runs uh, uh, private prisons um they just are not sh- they're showering 1/100th of the money there's just no way that their influence is as much and like why do we imagine that the incentives for a union that represents guards at a prison are going to be more pristine than the incentives of a bunch of bean counters who own a company that manage far fewer prisons are going to be? It's, it's 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 just wrapped up. It's a beautiful kind of bow on. Well, I hate you know, privatization or I hate corporations or I just feel like skeeved out in some way about mm-hmm. uh, introducing capitalism into incarceration. And I get that. That's an understandable kind of emotional mm-hmm. response. Um, but so much has gone into that uh, emotional response where, like, w- if you talk to a standard Democrat about criminal justice reform, um, you know, for the last 15 years, this is the top three um, of of the thing that needs to happen. And as a an effective way to actually reform criminal justice in a way that I think makes most civil libertarian progressives happy, um, doing an executive order like this about private prisons uh, has an e- effective ranking of like 70,000 uh, yeah, no, compared I mean, to the I, actual. I, I, yeah. I was just pointing out that that is the argument. It's not an, it's not a, mm-hmm. an issue I know anything about. And it makes perfect sense that particularly the, the prison prison guard union. Um, but as you say, I mean, it's, it's almost like the thing we started the podcast talking about of, you know, just the idea of short selling, of betting against a company and making a pile when they lose yeah. is the same kind of instinct of like, I don't, I don't want that to be a place where people are making money on, on, on prisons. It just, it, it it's something that, as you point out, it will ultimately has no effect on the problem of over-incarceration and over-criminalization of everyday life. Which is separate from the prisons. Yeah. Which is separate from the prisons. And that should be where where the the people are focusing. Yeah, that's law enforcement. That's the courts. That's very different than the guys who are operating the prisons because they have some sort of contract. And again, federal prisons are different. It's different sort of laws there. So I, you know, the bottom line is I, I suspect that this will be ineffectual in obtaining, attaining the goal of racial equity in any sort of meaningful sense, as most of these executive orders around those issues um, are likely to be broadly ineffectual. I suppose the one that might be quote unquote effective, um, but perhaps not in the expected way um, are some of these, I guess the removal of the prohibitions against the the equity and diversity training um, that, that the Biden administration has permitted, but potentially if they go further than that and potentially even mandate that training, for folks who have government contracts. I mean, that could be interesting. And I expect that the result of that might be that some of these workplaces are just even less harmonious 
than they are today. Because it's not really my issue, I'm going to put this to you guys. And, you know, we're up against time and, you know, angry children and the rest of it. Uh, so be, be as brief or as expansive as you want. But you know, at the federal level, and again, not my bailiwick here, but I do know that I, along with so many other Americans, increasingly on both sides of the aisle, and there's been an, an, you know, an interesting and often forgotten about um, kind of right-leaning uh, movement for criminal justice reform, which, which needs to be kind of revivified in a lot of ways. I mean, in the past, it was maybe it was too Chuck Colson, but I think now it's become a little broader in a broader church. What is the thing that you can do and this is hopefully instructive for our listeners too, as the president within the realm of executive power to immediately strike a blow against the drug war, which everybody knows has been so like psychologically destructive, um, physically destructive to to human beings and being Hmm. put away and just ruinous, financially ruinous too, over so long. As this is an issue that one expects is is getting, you know, more traction on both sides. Why not just go out and say, I'm going to be the most aggressive person in dismantling the drug war of any president prior to my administration? It strikes me that that would be something that would be a bold, necessary, effective, and possibly quite popular move. I agree with you, and I worry here that the biggest impediment is the fact that in my one metaphor or analogy a year that makes any sense um, that Joe Biden is the rusty weather vane, right? Like Mm -hmm. um, he creaks in the direction of prevailing winds, um, gets there eventually. Um, He was the last person in the Democratic field to even be kind of queasily okay with maybe legalizing marijuana. Everybody else is like totally legalize it and they actually smoke it. Um, and Joe, is, who's a drug warrior, who like helped invent the drug czar as an office. Mm. I mean, his his fingerprints are on so many terrible things. Um, he fakes the woke stuff now. Why can't he fake He fakes this? the woke stuff. And so to answer your question concretely, deschedule marijuana, which the president has power to do. Barack yes. Obama tried to pretend he that he didn't have the power, but he does. He has the power to do that. Um, there aren't enough federal cops to enforce all of the federal laws. You can tell federal cops and fact, the government has uh, Mm -hmm. under Obama at the very tail end, but definitely not the first five years of his presidency. And also under Trump, they said, "Okay, we're going to look the other way on enforcing federal law in states where marijuana is is legal. Um, They, you know, they were raiding California. Let's not forget in 2013, um, they were raiding dispensaries all over the country back then. They stopped that now. So that's because there's a a finite supply. You can say you can put that. At number 75 on your list. Um, and you can do that right now with the existing federal drug laws. You can also use your pardon power, which is one of the strongest powers that the president has, to pardon lots of people who are in federal prison right now or commute their sentences, do whatever, um, uh, who have served too much time uh, for things that most people recognize now uh, shouldn't be like that. Or in some cases, there's still people in prison who are there under laws that have been changed. They haven't all automatically walked out. I know that Cory Booker is reintroducing it. Good on him for doing this. He's been pretty good on the drug war and a couple of other things besides, but especially that. 
He's uh, reintroducing a, you know, get rid of uh, crack and powder cocaine disparities, sentencing disparities, which is great. Like you have to have the legislative fix. But the president does have enforcement and classification power. Do that now. And then also let's keep in mind that Joe Biden, Rusty Weathervane, uh, was the person who was designated in the Obama administration to uh, lean into the prevailing winds on gay marriage, right? It was like a him, like having a trial balloon, like, oh, why, why, why shouldn't we have gay marriage? And suddenly that changed the conversation because Obama, who as a young legislator is like, of course, gay marriage, no problem. When he started running for president, he walked away from that because he wanted to win. Um, and then in his second term, he let, uh, Biden like walk out a little bit on the Sunday shows, I think it was. Uh, and then people like, oh, yeah, totally. And that changed it. So a president has that opportunity. He can walk out right now and say, look, folks, uh, I know I wrote all the drug laws and whatever, but come on. We all come on, man. We all know this is bullshit. Come Let's on, do man. this. If he said that. Just as I know, I don't have all the power. And in his best days campaigning compared to the rest of the field, he would occasionally acknowledge that the president can't do everything with pen and a phone. He hasn't acted like that so far early on. But, you know, if he just keeps on saying, come on, man, I mean, you realize that he actually talks like an undercover cop. <laughs> I mean, he's got the glasses, on, man. He's got the glasses. He's got the car. Jesus he's got the Corvette. Uh, so, yeah, he could do all he could do all of that. President has a lot of power on immigration. To answer Camille's question briefly, those are the best executive orders that he's done so far. He's going into the separated mm -hmm. families. He's trying to figure out what happened. He's reversing some of the worst things that Trump did. Yeah. It's going to take a long time for that to work itself out because of the bureaucracy. Um, a lot of the other stuff is window dressing. I'm worried about injecting like you know uh climate justice and equity into regulatory interpretations of everything which he mm -hmm. seems to be doing including in like the dr fauci is talking about climate justice and mm -hmm. like racial equity when he should be talking about opening the fucking schools he uh, yeah, what's yeah. he talking about that stuff for because uh, <laughs> he's because well, he's, he's sitting with though. democrats in conversations but he was doing he, it during I mean, the trump he, administration as well he was doing it on stage oh. with president trump during uh during the summer if i'm not mistaken i didn't know um, that the climate yeah. thing i didn't hear well, not yeah. the climate, but the racial justice stuff. Well, if anybody wants to get, you know, they like hiring people and expanding the federal payroll. Why don't if you're going to do that anyway, you might as well focus it on people that can actually make a, an almost never ending scroll of those who have been convicted in either are serving time or did serve time for truly nonviolent drug crimes uh, and just vacate their sentences hmm. and and pardon them all. Every single them one out. of them. Get them out. That would be that would be one of I mean, I would forever make excuses for every shitty thing that Joe Biden did if he did something uh, as brave as that. And Kamala yeah. Harris, too. Like, yeah. go back on your record. You campaign that way. Do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think as as you underscored, Matt, that the challenge, of course, is that most of this, the action is actually at the state and local level. You've got like 18,000 different state and local police departments that are involved in these processes. So actually achieving reform, a lot of the action is happening there. Um, but I, I remember back to that like 21st century, the task force on 21st century policing that completed its work right at the tail end of the Obama administration. They made a bunch of recommendations um, about like investigative processes, things that the Obama administration could achieve through like the oversight powers that the Justice Department has. Um, and perhaps, you know, this isn't limited to the president, but some new legislation that actually 
like mandates certain things. I think they also uh, the one of the executive orders also limited the military equipment that could go down to police departments from the feds. That's good. Which I don't I don't know that that's a complete prohibition because we've seen some limits on that before, and the Trump administration just sort of lifted them. Which is again, this is why the Times is underscoring the fact that. If all you do is these executive orders, new administration comes in, they just tear the shit up and, you know, things go right back to the way they were. Um, but at a minimum, it does seem to me that certain kinds of basic things like having an actual trustworthy, reliable, not that the work that journalists are doing isn't, but a certifiable like resource that tells us about like use of force stuff, um, perhaps at a minimum, like actual fatalities. It is still the case in this country that we depend on the Washington Post to tell us how many people are shot, killed by the police. And in many places, there is no mandate to report that sort of stuff. Um, Or at least the mandates are sort of, again, distributed across all these different agencies. Um, And that is something that is important enough to enough people that it seems very odd that that is the case all these many years removed from the events of Ferguson when we first started talking about that kind of thing. Um, and many people were talking about it before. So we'll see what happens. Before we close, um, this is the regular broadcast here, but you can also get us on Patreon. And there's uh, a good thing that happens when you do, literally or specifically, um, at the end of this month, it's January and the beginning of February, Camille's going to have four office hours. Mm, I don't know what you're doing, yeah. dude. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. But you get to, you get to like go on <laughs> you, Zoom. You made that promise. Yeah, I, like, I did. I did. One hand and I weren't like if doing four. If you can actually see Camille's face right now, it looks like he <laughs> just excited? found out that like no. he didn't get into college. Is that is like, I'm, oh my God. I'm <laughs> smiling and I'm excited to do this. I wanted yeah, I wanted so to try to make myself available to as many people uh, who are a part of the fiefdom and make the whole thing possible. I wanted to be able to to be accessible to them. So, you know, four four different things across four days, about 90 odd minutes each. Um, and you could show up and we can chat and you can ask questions. Well, you need you need one answer, Camille. You know that, right? Because everybody who comes to you is fifth. going to come to you with the same thing. No, What's no, that? you need to have one answer. You know Some, it. You know it because we get a lot, a lot of email. And if you were to know. aggregate the email, 45% of it would be this. Camille... I work at blank company and now I'm having to go through this totally insane Stalinist indoctrination into sort of racial blah, blah, blah. How do I deal with it? So yeah. you can just record it and put a cutout in, in front of the camera. And yeah. Yeah. Then get it'll, like going. It'll be fine. No, you, you have to be strategic. The circumstances are different all the, all the time, but certainly if you've yeah. got questions about reading lists or certain circumstances like that, we can talk through it. I can try to help you through it. <laughs> Um, to the extent it's I'm also able. a really good opportunity to talk shit about me or Moynihan because we're yeah, yeah, totally, really we're not going to be there. Yeah, and we're never uh, going to fucking listen. I mean, come on. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, you can. Well, those you are, can these talk are about being, like breaking these up are, the band. These are private. Yeah, these are yeah, being these recorded are, for release. Well, they're not private. These are super. Be other people in the room, but you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But they got to well, pay to be in the room, so like that's the whole point. Like you can pony up and listen to. Yeah. How many how many episodes do we have there on the Patreon, Moynihan? We got like in excess. No, I'll pay, oh, on no, Patreon. No. On the oh, Patreon. Patreon. Oh, 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 oh. Like 60-ish. 60-ish. And then that doesn't include the Zooms that we've done with people, et cetera. Yeah. And, you know, now is the time that we're 
um, building this up in a, in a slightly different way, too. And I'll give uh, one other announcement. I asked people because I had a, there was something I can't oh, yeah. remember what precipitated this. But I said, um, do you want to do a thing where I talk to historians about things that I'm interested in? And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, fifth column C-SPAN. <laughs> and the response was like, absolutely, please. And I was I was actually surprised. I thought I thought I was like, yeah, well, I'm, I'm not going to have to do that. Um, well, I said, OK, great. Um, I recorded the first one today. So the first episode of this new sub series within the Patreon um, where I talk to historians um, is the first one was recorded this morning. And I'm not amazing in the morning, but God, was I amazing today. It really was something else. I just, I actually shocked myself. And I came back to it and I was like, should I listen to it? I was like, I don't know if I can handle something that good yeah, this, this no. early in the morning. <laughs> That's true. So I haven't listened to it back yet, but it is um, with, uh, uh, I'll give you, I'll just tell you who it is because it's going to be released soon. Ugh, God, if I survive this podcast, <laughs> my beeping here. Um, it is with um, Duncan White, who is a Harvard professor a British journalist turned academic who wrote a book called Cold Warriors about literature in the Cold War. Um, deals with uh, Orwell, uh, Pasternak, uh, Arthur Kessler, etc. The, the whole Solzhenitsyn, Mary McCarthy. It's a really, really great book. Um, he's he's a he's a great writer, and he used to be a, a, a soccer journalist at the Sunday Telegraph, which I think is interesting. So we had a good long conversation. The point of these conversations, by the way, is not to do a traditional Q&A. It is a conversation between the two of us, and I think it was quite fun. So that'll be on the Patreon. If you haven't signed up already, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> make it right by signing up right now. And not on the Patreon, but coming out uh, over this weekend, I, I had oh, a conversation yeah. with Van Latham, who is uh, at the Higher Learning Podcast, who's a, a new, a new. I think we're friends. I think so. Uh, but we had a very interesting <laughs> hour and a half-ish long conversation. Um, and I suppose this is a follow-up to to the real-time uh, discussion that I had. Uh, Van, He's a former that. TMZ guy, right? Yeah, yeah. He was a former reporter over at TMZ. He doesn't refer to himself as a journalist now. He is a commentator, I would say, um, since he's he's got a podcast and a platform and a lot of people pay attention. Um, and a number of people were sort of pinging him saying, Van, you see this, this, this nigga Camille over there on, on HBO? He's talking a bunch of shit. You got to get at him. Get at him. <laughs> And uh, when he did come looking, he thought I was someone he might want to talk to. Um, and there is some strenuous disagreement in this conversation. Um, but it was, a, I think, a, a interesting, worthwhile conversation between two people who seem to like um, and respect one another. And I think those are always good. Like there's always something yeah, he's an honest guy, right? and something like that. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, so you'll get that this weekend. You get this first and hopefully I will see you and Whoa. chat with you at one of the office hours pretty soon. So, so much content. That's and it. for that's the, uh, for, for <laughs> the many content new, and engagement. New, yeah. New, uh, uh, subscribers and listeners, um, uh, uh who've joined us this month. I'm going to do a post uh, tomorrow on our Patreon page. So again, it helps to be a subscriber to see it. Um, but that's going to link to some of our uh, our fan favorites, uh, greatest hits in the archives. Uh, we're almost uh, we're getting close to our fifth anniversary, my God. Uh, and uh, there are certain things that people have grown to love over the years um, uh, and conversation. So uh, 
I, will help you as a as sort of an exciter uh, to go through, and also like just as someone who's gawking at a at a truck accident on uh, on certain occasions uh, to see the, some of the stuff that we've done in the past. So uh, you have that to look forward to. And there's just a bunch of uh, a lot of user listener generated stuff going on out there. Which I love and encourage all of it, and I want to of of all of it. I will just shout out one, which is that uh, guy whose name I know, but it's not public. Uh, so he's commenting under the name of Cluis, whatever. Um, anyways, he is uh, as we speak preparing a giant Melania for our Chinatown recording studio. Oh, uh, it's <laughs> <laughs> he's an wow. artist. It looks great. Uh, oh. and and oh, no, <laughs> he's painting it, right? Isn't that what it is? I don't know the dark arts of it all, uh, hmm. but it it's uh, it looks great. Uh, and we're talking with him right now. So uh, awesome. thank you for that. And that's going to class it up and we'll go have a look at that real yeah. soon. Huge Melania painting in our new studio. It's going to oh, be yeah. incredible. Yeah. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of accents. All right. All right. I've retired well, Melania. I'm not, no longer, no longer. She's yeah. done. Didn't sound yeah. retired just right then. <laughs> there was, was a little hint. It was a little sort of dusting. That was blast, a, blast from the past. Blast from the past. All right. All right. Okay. Well, bye. 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 We, we, we know of new methods of attack. <laughs>